Uh, host, you can kick us off. I think we're good to go. Yes, uh, good evening. Uh, welcome to Patriotic Space. We are in conversation with Nkoli uh, Mbondo. Um, let me just hand over to our co-host Nkunzi. Co-host, you can take over. Thank, thank you, host. Uh, can you hear me? My, my clear, my audible. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, and we greet all the patriots and compatriots uh, in the name of patriotism. This is the patriotic space, and thank you for tuning in and uh, coming through so that we can just have um, this uh, session and be able to engage Councillor Ngulimbundu, as we know, he's presently serving the uh, city of Johannesburg Metro Municipality, and uh, he was serving as a as an MMC there for economic development uh, in the in, in in that metro. So we are in conversation with him, and we have a number of touch points and uh, um, that we'd like to just uh, engage around and. Uh, um, just to also um, have these uh, discussions and leading up to the 2024 elections, uh, national elections, um, and also just to look in terms of um, the metro itself, uh, one of the biggest metros, uh, as we know, and uh, maybe just to, to have some insights uh, as he is the man in, in presently in uh, yeah, serving the so we just want. I think there's been a lot of talks and development, um, and and and, and certain uh, uh, um, sort of areas that uh, we would we would like, and in, in in the engagements that we've had with fellow patriots, uh, things that we would have wanted to pose questions to him, and uh, maybe to get a a a, a, a deeper. Sort of understanding and, and and more deeper insights in terms of certain decisions being uh, made or taken uh, in the council and uh, really which are impacting and affecting the ordinary South Africans and how do we um, progress and how do we ensure that we 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 we, we are able to see um, basic service delivery around that metro and. What are maybe some of the uh, barriers? And uh, yeah, I think all of those touch points will come into play, but uh, we will invite also the Patriots just to engage uh, with them. As we always say that we created this platform for Patriots. It's not for us as PSAF Live. We are just a conduit for us to ensure that the Patriots are able to reach um, 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 uh, yeah, these uh uh, the councillors and they are able to have we are able to have an an an, an honest engagement and conversation uh, around mm -hmm. uh, matters which I deem are matters of uh, national importance. So yeah, uh, I see who councillor Goli is here, and um, yeah. Before we proceed with the business of the day, uh, let me ask Ugiya to just uh, come up as well. And then we will proceed with the business of the day. Uh, host, you can just bring up 
Uh, I know he's a patriot as well. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe today we will refer to him as patriot. Uh, um, yeah, let me hand over to Ukiya and then we'll proceed. Uh, welcome, Kia. Okay, uh, I think Kunkul is here. Uh, maybe let me. Uh, welcome, Kia. All right, let me let me give Kanzel and Kuli just the opportunity to greet the Patriots and then we'll proceed with the business of the day. Um, over to you, um, Patriots and Kuli. Uh, just an opportunity to greet uh, the Patriots and compatriots in the space and then we'll, 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 we'll uh, yeah, get into our program. Good evening, uh, Ngunzi. Good evening, um, Zeus. Good evening, Kia. Good evening, Patriots. I hope I am um, audible. You're loud and clear. We can hear you. Yeah, I'm expecting to try and connect uh, audio on my uh, desktop, so I've just switched to my uh, mobile device, uh, but uh, we should be good to go. Uh, thank you so much for um, the opportunity to, to engage the Patriots. It's uh, indeed a very important conversation that um, we need to have uh, today. Our country is in ICU and we, we can see it around. Nobody needs to be convinced. And uh, there's plenty of questions that uh, patrons have. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that t- tonight we'll be in a position where we could shed some light in terms of the inner workings of uh, government and not just at a local level, but at a provincial and a national level because whatever happens at a uh, local government um, mirrors exactly what happens uh, in the uh, three spheres of uh, government. So really the idea for me is um, to share with everybody what our experience has been, Um, uh, talk a little bit about what our challenges are. I don't want to dwell too much on that because I think all of us know those because, and that's why we're here, but also to touch on what can we do? What can we do? in this state of seeming hopelessness um, where our power has been uh, taken by uh, politicians. Uh, You've got people that vote for particular parties and then you've got political parties that then decide to go and have negotiations at a higher level and uh, they then sell votes. And uh, before you know it, you've got the same problem back uh, in government. Uh, which is not the mandate of the people. And I want to be able to articulate to the patriots exactly how we got to this point and what it is that we need to do to to change the trajectory, uh, especially coming 2024, um, and getting uh, you know everybody to understand. I think there's, there's, there's almost like um, a limited understanding of how government functions. And I think that's where I want to start. I want to, want to give an overview of just our metro and the composition of the seats and the responsibilities of councillors uh, and the parties and the legislature versus the executive and so on, so that everybody has got a view uh, that is clear. And then I can also touch on to what happened with the multi-party coalition uh, for us to get to this point that we're at today and um, what it is that, uh, that we need to you know, jointly do to, to try and change this thing as we move forward. Uh, my view is that uh, we are possibly the last hope for Joburg. A multi-party government, a coalition government is the last hope. Um, the uh, uh, ANC has failed 
dismally over the last three decades. The ANC is synonymous with uh, corruption, it's synonymous with nepotism, it's synonymous with care deployment. And I'm not saying all officials, but uh, a lot of, quite a lot of them. So where we stand is that uh, SA and the ANC cannot coexist under no circumstances. One has to die. And uh, the choice we've got to make is who dies? Is it uh, our country or is it the ANC? And uh, that will also touch on to some of the pertinent questions around uh, Bohani Baloui leaving the coalition and the questions of leaving the party and the questions that had been raised as to why. Uh, but I'll be able to articulate that. And that uh, as Action SA, um, we have made it very clear that the ANC is uh, public enemy number one and we will never get to bed uh, with the ANC under no circumstances. So the minute you start to get something like that coming through, uh, it's almost like um, a foreign object coming into an immune system and the immune system naturally just kicks it off. You know? So as Action SA, we will uh, stick true to our um, ele- election promises that we want to remove the ANC from power. That is our primary goal. And secondary to that is all the uh, policies that we've put in place to change South Africa to become a better space for all that live uh, in it. I'll take a bit of a pause in there because it's just the introduction um, and Gunzi and uh, uh, maybe Kia would like to say a couple of words and then I can jump back in again. Thanks. Thank, thank you, um, Guli. Uh, let me hand over to Kia. Um, yeah, maybe uh, I did give you an opportunity earlier on. I think you were struggling with your connection. Uh, let me bring you into the conversation. Um, yeah, if you've got a few words uh, on your side, Kia. Thank you, Guli. I think I am much more interested on hearing about what happened with the whole bylaws and the situation with Siri and then why was that abandoned because at some point you and um, is it David Dembe you guys were were fighting for traders to to be vetted and to be given trading licenses and trading spots and then the whole Siri thing happened and then you were thrown under the bus by Mpo Palazzi and the DA so I want to know Hore, why was it then not taken forward? Why was it not challenged? Why did you decide you don't know? You're just going to leave it and that was that. That's my question. Okay. Uh, thanks, Kia. Before we, before we cancel Amudu, maybe uh, jumps into that question. I just want to rewind a little bit. Um, um, from making that jump, um, um, because I think most most of us we've known you from the from the corporate space, and making that jump and hitting the call uh, to come up and join um, and serve uh, under the leadership here yeah, that Herman Mashaba, and being placed in the in the in the in, in the city of Johannesburg um, as a as an MMC for economic development. Um, uh, uh, just take me to what informed that decision for you. And uh, yeah, what 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 pushed you just to hit that call uh, when you were when you were only asked to 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 come and serve uh, in the metro? Absolutely, because maybe let me just give a bit of background. Um, so I'm 48 years old, right? I was born in 1974, 
And uh, I lived through the 80s. I was born into a very political family. Um, almost uh, my entire uncles and aunts were involved in the uh, struggle. Right. Uh, my old man served 10 years in Robben Island. He was, in fact, uh, a proper MK guerrilla that was arrested bringing arms into the country. Um, and I grew up, you know, in my grandmother's uh, home on weekends. Uh, I've had personal interactions with uh, Oliver Tambo, with uh, Walter Sisulu and the likes, uh, and uh, uh, the underground meetings that took place as I was a young person. At the age of 12, uh, I got involved in um, uh, activism. I remember, you know, in, in, uh, we used to go to something called, uh, the, uh, there's a primary school and uh, a higher primary, and then you got secondary school. And I was 12 in Senate 5 when I started up a revolution at school, hiding the school bell, uh, make and collecting uh, two cents and five cents from uh, you know fellow pupils to go buy petrol to make petrol bombs. I got involved in that because it's all I knew, right? And we were right on the highway, so we could watch all these trucks did, doing deliveries into Soweto. And we used to call them Mama Targets, and we used to hit them, right? Because it's, it's, it's all I understood. Uh, fast forward to later, uh, and this is the area Bomkoch or. Um, very few of us will probably know some of these uh, hardcore guerrillas. Um, I got into corporate. I went to go work overseas, and I was not involved in politics. I've never been a politician. I'm not a politician. I was an activist. And when I came back, uh, I spent uh, uh, some time in uh, uh, the Middle East as, uh, and uh, West Africa uh, in particular. Uh, I lived in Nigeria, uh, where I had to have my paperwork right, by the way. My first trip into Nigeria, my second trip into Nigeria, I was turned back on the same flight because my paperwork was not right. So I lived in Nigeria, but I had to make sure that my paperwork was, um, was right. And uh, when I returned in 2011, I looked around. You know, I live in, um, in Melrose in Johannesburg, and uh, I looked around for the nearest branch of the ANC. I was still bushy-eyed, uh, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, saying, look, you know, we've got to push this thing. And I joined the branch, and I got involved in membership. And my involvement in membership uh, spoke to the constitution of the ANC that says that um, if anyone who votes in a ward has got to be a resident of a ward. And what I picked up, it was that era, just after Jacob Zuma had taken over, where the floodgates were opened up on the branches, where anybody who could just join the movement, anyone, right? You don't have to have a particular criteria. You don't have to have a particular level of education or uh, uh, experience within the ANC, bearing in mind that the ANC was started by intellectuals. But here we were faced with people that could just go and gather vo uh, people in numbers um, during the day. Uh, it was just after the... Uh, redemarcation of Ward 73 that included Orange Grove uh, into into Houghton. Now, my branch had Mandela, um, Mbeki, Khalema, and all the ANC stalwarts. So all the intellectuals and all the big ANC people, three presidents, you would hope that they would come to meetings, but they, would, they, 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 they didn't. And I would imagine that it was an area of uh, disgruntlement. So I got involved, and I got involved in membership. And um, I used to go back and forth between here and the, the uh, NC regional office, and I cleaned up the membership. And membership was like a very clandestine operation in the ANC, because anybody could just go and collect forms and have their people who will then be passed in to vote um, for a particular candidate. And at that point, 
there were two candidates. It was Jacob Zuma or Khalima uh, Mutlante. So we were on the Khalima Mutlante um, uh, grouping, saying we cannot afford to have uh, the ANC soul being stolen and being abused. And uh, on the last minute, uh, we got sold out by comrades within there um, that decided to vote the other way. Uh, our branch is not correct, uh, but surprisingly, when I went to Mangaung uh, conference uh, as an observer, I came across our um, branch chair with an accreditation <laughs> when the branch is not correct, you know. And that's when I knew that uh, something is not right here. Yeah, I subsequently got a job in Batavid Zamini's office and as an advisor and so on. So the vote buying started happening at that uh, particular era. So when I cleaned up the membership and I removed the names um, and I went to go and present at the uh, ANC um, uh, branch uh, meeting, uh, some people were not happy. A day later, uh, while we were still working, I got uh, uh, approached by four dirty-looking young men with guns. And uh, they told me that I must put those names back in if I want to live. Now, you must understand that it was a very volatile area. They just killed the uh, regional chair of uh, the ANC in uh, Rustenbeck, as well as uh, um, another region in KZN. So it was a real thing. So I got home. I spoke to my wife about it, that uh, I've just been accosted with guns. And my wife said, you know what, um, um, we are young. I don't want to be a young widow. I know that you love the ANC, but this is no longer the ANC that your parents fought for. You need to leave. Very difficult decision. So I wrote a very long letter um, to say I'd like to resign because I don't believe in this. This thing has changed. It's no longer the same. It's no longer what we stood for. And I left politics. And that's when I got into corporate. But when I came back, I was a little bored. I think okay, I can support Pakistan and so on. And I supported Pakistan's campaign. And I watched and got very, very involved um, until we lost out. And uh, when we lost out, the very next day, I was there at the regional office after the EFF and uh, the DA took over to say, hey, man, chance, man, hey, but what can we do? And Parks was very clear to say, we will sit in opposition. It will become a constructive opposition. And by then, opposition was a foreign thing for ANC. And I didn't understand how this was going to work. So I, I sort of supported. Fast forward, um, to 2021, I became an activist in my neighborhood. Um, you know, we've got, we had this major problem of uh, waste collectors that occupied our parks and so on. So we came up with a very creative model uh, of raising funds from residents to protect our parks and fence them up. And uh, the business case was very clear. You know, you put you 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 donate uh, five or ten thousand rands if you've got a five million rand house. Uh, you're up 250,000 rands in value immediately. And I went to Jeff, uh, the late uh, Jeff Maku, and said, uh, look, Mayor, we've got a solution for you across the city. We've formed something called the Jobic Parks Alliance. Um, we'd like to offer it to the city. It's not going to cost the city anything. We just need your endorsement. We can reclaim our parks and our spaces, and we can invest in our parks and make sure that there's recreation. We've got a major problem of Inyaope, you know, kids, uh, teenage pregnancies, and so on. But if we provide recreation, this is going to help us. And guess what? I got a cold shoulder. I got a cold shoulder. All he said to me was, oh, good work. And I thought to myself, these guys are not intent on fixing the problems that we have. And I had been approached to go and speak to Mashaba uh, as early as March that year. And uh, it was June uh, by the time I was chatting to the late chef. And I decided, you know, let me just go and speak to Mr. Mashaba. And I was in awe 
you know, I was so embarrassed when I sat in front of him because I always looked at him as this DA product. You know, that's that myopic view that the ANC sells to people. And I thought to myself, my goodness, here's a man who loves his country. He's made enough money. He doesn't need to be doing this thing, but he wants to save it for the future generation. Now, here I am. I've got three kids, private school. Um, uh, I'm, you know, 45% of my money goes to tax. And uh, I still pay for private security. Um, you know, in my area, if you call CAP, if you call uh, SEPs, you'd be lucky if they're here. Um, in less than 20 minutes. But if you call CAP security, they're here in two minutes. I, I've got medical aid, I've got private school. So where's my money going? So I decided, you know what, I want to get involved. And uh, I harassed Umashab uh, in a big way. I mean, we, we fought. I mean, the poor man, I, I asked him tough, tough, tough questions in the early days and challenging his uh, thinking. And fast forward, uh, he said to me, look, we want patriots like you to come into the space. We want uh, our government uh, to swell with uh, professionals. Would you mind coming on board and becoming a PR counselor? Now, I didn't even know what a PR counselor is. Okay, I was very comfortable in corporate. I used to work, uh, work from home to that era of COVID, shorts every day and Zoom calls. You know, you wear your Zoom outfit. It was okay. You know, I used to work for uh, you know, American multinationals. And I was, I was, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was fine. Um, I agreed. Before I even spoke to my wife, by the time I spoke to my wife, I had long decided my wife did not like it at all. My wife said, Nkulego, you cannot enter into the space. The space is dangerous. It's corrupt. Um, we are going to be losers in this thing. Why do you want to give up such, something so comfortable? But for me, it was like a calling. And for many nights, you know, we fought about it and understood where she came from. But I was blinded by the fact that I've got to get this thing done. And uh, I just campaigned. And then I was offered the role as economic development. Mashaba said, look, we need people that come from private sector to come and run this thing. I accepted again. The worst thing was that I didn't even know what the salary was. And I later, it later turns out that MMC is only an amount of like a million rand. You take home like uh, 50 or 60,000 rand, which is a fraction of what he used to get paid. And now I was stuck with this thing to say, shucks, what have I done? Um, but my passion just kept on going. So for the last 12 months in that space, I've been subsidizing my, 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 my income because we campaigned on corruption as public enemy number one. So therefore, when we get in there, the first thing we do is uproot corruption. So there's no way that I can even take a single cent of uh, uh, public service money. Now, I know it sounds altruistic, but it really was. Uh, it's a very difficult thing to do to try and keep your head clear when you get offers left, right, and center. And I said to myself, this is not what we are here for. We are here to fix our country so that our kids can have an opportunity tomorrow. I encountered slurs. I encountered um, uh, uh, smear campaigns, uh, things about me being involved in procurement, issues that just do not, uh, you know, that are just, uh, it's just a smear campaign, you know. But I, 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 I focused. I kept my, my eye on the, on, on, on the goal to say it doesn't matter. And meanwhile, home was struggling because, we're now digging deeply into our reserves, um, you know, to get us to this point today where we're struggling, right? But I, I can at least sleep at night. I'm okay to struggle, but I can sleep at night uh, because my conscience is clear because this is why we joined uh, this journey. And uh, the very first thing I did when I joined, within 30 days, I fired the chair of the Jobic Property Company for failing to act on the SIU recommendations um, uh, for the PEP procurement at the, the Jobic Property Company. 
SAU was very clear to say, you need to deal with these executives. And the first thing was, I went for the head of a snake and I took them out. Uh, if you consider how many people that we have put on suspension um, or fired because of maladministration and corruption, I don't think anybody has done more than we have done in economic development. Sadly, uh, fast forward to today, most of those people are back, right, uh, with this ANC coalition. They've brought them back. They've accused us of targeting black professionals and so on, which is just complete nonsense. But they've brought back that everybody else that we had to try to clean out, uh, out of the system because it is a system. It is endemic. It is a systematic thing. This is how it is designed. So to watch our city regress uh, after all the work that we had done is really disheartening, you know. So one has to pep themselves up every morning and say, "Will you wake up and just keep going, keep pushing, keep trying, do not stop because we didn't start this journey to stop, you know. So that's how I got to to this point uh, in Quincy. It was really to make sure that uh, beyond our time, our kids need a future. And we have got to be able to pro- to um, to show the world that it is possible to be black and be in government and be ethical. Very possible. that it, uh, You know, they've the, the associated corruption with blackness, let alone that we've got the Steinhoff, which is the biggest corruption scandal um, that the country has faced and so on. But the narrative that is being pushed is corruption and ANC and black. And we wanted to try and turn that and give hope to our kids that you can be in government and you can be, you, you can be ethical. So while we're out of government, but I can say I'm, I'm so happy. I'm like, I, I sleep better at night because I know I did my best. I've given my best to the country. You know, nobody will know the pains that uh, we face as, as we live. But that level of uh, selflessness brings so much reward um, for, 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 for some of us. And this is where I'd like to get, you know, more of us to come into the space, to give up their comfort and um, give in and try and rescue this uh, country of ours. We've only got one country. We don't have two passports, right? We've only got one passport. There are people who've got two passports that can leave tomorrow. We don't have that option. And therefore, we're going to continue to fight for what we have. And if we don't fight, we're going to wake up tomorrow with a country that is invaded. Uh, I read an article in City Press today. The city of Johannesburg has just gone into complete dilapidation. No services. It's filthy. Waste is not collected. Billing is um, uh, is completely incorrect. Uh, there's just no service. And if we don't get into these pieces as professionals, as patriots, we are going to be led by people that know less. You know, Plato says that the penalty for not getting involved in politics is that you're going to end up uh, being led by your inferiors. And I can tell you that right now, that we are being led by inferiors. Just watch the current uh, Jobek mayor uh, as we speak. A mayor of an entire city, the biggest city in Africa. And just listen to what, what they say, right? So I've got to call these things out and say, you know that it's a compromise decision that they've taken, um, but these guys make decisions on our behalf. We vote for them to go in power, but they then make decisions on, the, on our behalf that only benefits their own pockets. They don't think about service delivery. They don't think about eradicating co- uh, corruption. Ramaphosa speaks about highly about uh, eradicating, uh, eradicating corruption, but uh, it still allows these things to happen. You know, so 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 we have got a crisis situation 
going back to my point that uh, our city is in ICU and we need to jump in and take control. The last point I want to make on this is that how do we take control? We've got to get out and vote. 18 million people did not vote. Of the 18 that voted, 10 voted for the ANC. Now, the ANC has got this whole social grant uh, system going on. In 2006, there were two and a half million people on social grants. Today, there's 25 million people. These people believe that the ANC has given them that money. These people believe that the ANC has given them RDP homes and so on. So they'll continue voting. So the more voter apathy we experience, the more we give the ANC the power uh, to continue. And uh, I'm sorry, you, you cannot fix the ANC. There's no way you can fix the ANC. Not from the inside. Um, as much as I, I like and I respect Gaten, McKenzie, for example, there's no way that you're going to go into partnership with these guys and, and hope to fix it because you are not going to hold them accountable. Case in point is the fact that as we speak right now, a lot of these corrupt people are back right under the watch of a Maycomb that uh, the likes of a PR are part of. So the question is, can we fix it being part of it? No, you've got to get them out of power and take the control uh, you know, ourselves. So I'll uh, take a bit of a pause there. Just I was sort of giving a view in terms of how I go to this point. Uh, thank, thank you very much. And uh, we, we will touch on uh, uh, that banning issue presently uh, with regards to that uh, motion that was tabled um, in council. Uh, yeah, it is a banning issue and uh, we just need to touch on that and try and exhaust it uh, uh, today. Um, I, I was hoping PA did say that they will join today. Uh, we had another engagement with them yesterday. And they did say that they would also join uh, with regards to that. But yeah, we will see if they are able to join. Um, in, in in terms of the multi, multi-party multi um, uh, coalition, and I'm looking now at the, um, what do we call, how can I put it? In, in terms of um, the, the, the consistency, because it, it, it feels as though it's a, it's a, it's a stop, stop and start sort of uh, type of approach because one minute you have this uh, um, MMC in a portfolio and they might have uh, tabled um, um, their own uh, um, sort of performance areas and what they will want to look at and focus on during their tenure in 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 that position. And you find it that uh, they are removed, as as we saw that it happened now uh, when there was that no vote, uh, vote of no confidence, and we had um, uh, to reset uh, the metro. New MMCs coming in into the in, 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 into the metro. So, in, in terms of this coalition, multi-party coalition, um, for me, it's yes. I think we want to get the ANC out. And we are getting sort of uh, different um, um, uh, leaders being put. Uh, yeah, I'm using the word leaders loosely here, um, being being put in those positions. Uh, but it feels as though there is just no continuity. Um, and and would you are you for the coalitions or would you say if we get the right party day that we know we can hold them to account for that period, uh, you know, when, when they're in, govern- in, 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 in taking up govern- go- government for that period, we know we've got to 
the single person because you find what what tends to happen is that you go the these these issues of service delivery and then this one will blame the previous one to say no it was this previous administrator administrator which took play which took uh uh, uh power at this certain time who didn't deliver on x y and z and it, it just becomes a blame game and there's there's just not it, it's not fluid it's not there's not that flowing it, it does not flow uh i hope you understand what i'm saying so in in terms of when we weigh the two uh multi-party coalition and versus having a single sort of uh, uh entity that we can we can put there and, and say we're giving you your time to serve in power and in government in government and you you show us what you can deliver uh how how would you weigh the two so look coalitions are the future that is um i think we've learned our lessons on uh, a one-party state a one-party state doesn't hold uh, itself accountable um and especially once you've got a party like the anc that is inherently corrupt that's just you know people who wake up just go and steal every day and stealing is a norm, right? It's like, it's, it's become a culture. So that, 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 that's not going to work for us. Coalitions are the future. Now, if you look at established coalitions, Denmark, for example, right, um, has been run by a coalition government and a minority government. And what they say is um, those who are in power uh, roll out the red carpet for coalition partners. It boils down to respect of your coalition partners, um, understanding the importance that it is not a, like we have right now, the narrative is a DA-led. No, there's nothing like a DA-led. It's a multi-party government. The fact that in Johannesburg, the DA has got 71 seats and Action SA has got 44 seats doesn't mean the DA is a bigger uh, brother. So the problem that we faced here was the maturity of uh, coalitions and uh, the other parties, the DA in particular, to understand that they are not the big brother. Now, let me take it, take it back to um, November 2021 when we voted the mayor in. So we had um, negotiations, uh, coalition negotiations. The DA, um, Freedom Front Plus, ACDP, IFP, and so on. And at that point, it was going to be Mashaba as mayor. And everybody agreed that Mashaba should be mayor because he's had this experience and he understands it. But the DA pulled out of the negotiations two days before the election of a mayor. So we walk on the morning of the election of a mayor, uh, knowing that we um, decimated as a, a multi-party. So guess what happens? And Mashaba calls up uh, Floyd Shivam and says, look, we can't let this thing go to the uh, ANC because with their 91 seats plus... Uh, they are uh, smaller parties. They'll probably form a minority government. Let us vote the DA in. So we voted the DA in. We are not partners, so to speak. We have voted them in by force, right? So I was sitting there watching the uh, elections take place uh, when we started off with uh, the speaker. And um, uh, of the 270 seats in council, the DA got about 158 or thereabout. They didn't understand what was happening, how we had voted them. And then it came to the mayor election. We then voted them again. We voted Mpopalatse uh, in. Uh, we abstained as Action SA. And that, at that point, the ANC realized that they'd lost this thing. So they walked out of the election of the uh, chief whip. Um, now, the DA now suddenly had this thing and they had to deliver. But our view has always been that the DA is not 
um, intent on leading. They are minding their own little constituencies. They are happy to look after their own little constituencies, which is something that is fundamentally flawed um, in their approach. And uh, uh, it frustrated our work, um, you know, um, in, in, in government. I'll come back to the point that uh, the question that Kia is asking about what happened in Tevilias, because it's a classic case of disrespect by coalition partners, understanding that uh, we have got more numbers, so therefore we have a higher voice, or therefore we have a say. Coalitions need to mature to a point where there is an understanding that we are coalition partners, we are equal partners. We are not DA-led or XNSA-led or IFP-led. We are equal partners in that space. And I think we are, we are getting to that space. And I'm, 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 from where I sit, I think uh, with the transformation that's taking place in the DA, and we can't avoid them, right? So they, they've got to be here. Uh, we are likely to see a change in how coalitions are run um, come 2024. 2024 is going to be coalition government, guaranteed. All right? Uh, if uh, unfortunately we've got a very risky position that if the ANC gets 40% and the EFF gets 10%, uh, they are going to run this together. And it's the worst, it's a nightmare for us to have both the ANC and EFF running it. On the other side, you've got the DA that have said they will work with the ANC of Cyril Ramaphosa. So if uh, the ANC slides further to about 35% and the DA comes in with their 20%, they can run it. They are prepared to do that. Those are two worst scenarios, but this is where you sell off your votes. Because for me, a vote for the EFF or a vote for the DA is a vote for the ANC. Right? Um, but either way, we, my view is that um, coalitions are the future. And um, in them being the future, we just need mutual respect amongst coalition partners. How we lost the city of Johannesburg is negotiations started in November last year where Hamid Mashaba approached the coalition partners to say, look, we know that uh, we are going to face a vote of no confidence in January. Can we put together a coalition? Now, there's 270 seats uh, in council. The multi-party government at that point, in fact, prior to that point, had 138 seats. 138 made up of uh, XNSA 44, the DA 71, IFP 7, uh, UIM 1, um, I think it was, uh, what's the other party, uh, PA8, uh, and so on. And knowing that the PA had now moved on uh, to support the ANC, we knew that we were sitting at 130 votes of the 270. We don't want to make the numbers. And the proposal was made to bring the PA back on board. The DA only got back to us on the 10th of January, and they said, no, we'll go and negotiate with the DA, with the PA, we'll, we'll get them back on board. The PA said, okay. For me to come on board, I want two seats. I want um, EISD, the Environment and Infrastructure Division, um, and uh, Transport. And uh, the DA said, no, you cannot come into the coalition with a better position than you were because you betrayed us. Um, we can only offer you one position, which is Transport. So that position was taken back to the PA, and the PA said, absolutely not. We're not going to be part of this thing because we are all about power. Gating is very clear. We want power, and we want um, access to resources. And uh, uh, the PA was offered uh, only transport and they rejected it. So when they rejected it, what Hemen Mashaba did was to say, look, uh, transport is an XNSA portfolio. So Fulzi was going to move to become the speaker if we get um, uh, the, uh, we give away our transport portfolio. And he said, I'll give away two of my portfolios. I'll give away economic development as well, which is my portfolio. I mean, I had a fit when I learned this thing and I went 
uh, eventually he called me up for tea and we spoke and he explained to me what the dynamics were and I understood, right? Um, so he was saying, look, we've got to save this thing at all costs. Let's just give away two portfolios. We can manage. In that negotiation, we negotiated to say the boards of the entities cannot be changed. The DA's logic was that um, if you if if you give economic development to the PA, the PA are corrupt and they're going to steal and this and that, but I mean, it's only a billion rand portfolio and yet you're prepared to give them a five billion rand CapEx portfolio, which is transport. It just does not make sense. How do you give them a five billion rand portfolio and deny them a billion rand portfolio? And to us, that was very clear to say the DA does not want us to remain in government leading to 2024. So at all costs, the, the uh, XNSA must be removed because we're eating uh, a great deal into their base. So for us, our existence was a threat to them. And therefore, this illogical idea of saying we can't give you economic development when XNSA is offering economic development. So um, the PA said, no, absolutely not. We're not going to accept that. And uh, we're going to move on uh, with the ANC. And that's how we lost this thing. Right? And uh, they got into the ANC coalition and they got their two portfolios. Whereas we could have held it tightly and managed it tightly where you cannot change the boards. Because remember, if you can't change the boards, you can't change the executive which means you can't influence procurement, right? And this is, was my particular uh, suggestion to say, let's tighten up the coalition agreement at that level where we cannot change the things. Uh, and that way, there's no way you, you can't have a fear of corruption. I mean, we said to them, give us proof. What has the PA done? If you say they're corrupt, what have they done? And they could not come, come, come back with the proof. And yet they denied uh, accepting this. So, and that's how we lost it. Uh, but fast forward to, to where we are right now. This inconsistency is not good for um, our democracy. It's not good for our governance because you start, you put your programs, you, you get your IDPs, you get your budgeting done, you get your programs done, and you debate on these programs uh, and agree that we've got to spread uh, the budget in a number of areas. And then the other guys come in and then they change everything else. And now there's infighting in that uh, coalition. So we are likely to see the PA leave the coalition. So we are likely to have a hung council, basically, where you've got uh, the ANC coalition running as a minority government, which is the worst possible scenario as well uh, for us as a city of Johannesburg. And whatever happens here influences what happens at province and happens at, uh, at national. Um, as that is currently happening, because I, I think Gaten was very clear last week to say they are concerned that uh, their brand uh, identity is being damaged. Uh, in this partnership with the ANC simply because of how the ANC does their things. These guys are blatant. They do not uh, mess around. They do what they want to do. They will violate laws. They will do whatever it takes. Uh, and they don't care. So I think the PA is now concerned that this is impacting them negatively on their reputation. So if they pull out, we are likely to have a hung uh, municipality. And uh, it's going to impact decisions taking forward. So to answer your question on coalitions, coalitions are the future, but I think we need to get to a point of uh, maturity um, around how we um, respect each other and manage each other as uh, coalition partners. But prize number one is to make sure that you give a particular party at least or a group of parties the mandate uh, in the ballot box uh, more than uh, what we saw in the uh, 2021 local company election. Uh, where we, uh, for example, as I say, only got 44 seats. We need to get more, right? So if we have outright 
uh, majority. It becomes simpler. Uh, and how to get outright majority is to really avoid um, splitting the votes and it's to really avoid uh, voter apathy that is uh, kind of t- taking place. So I think we need to get to a space where we get our people out there to go and vote. Uh, they can vote for whoever. We are saying vote for agency or vote for anybody, but just don't vote for the ANC. Dilute the ANC vote uh, if we have any hope of a... Uh, 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 a, a a strong coalition moving into into the future. I'll pause there. That is the voice of uh, um, and uh, you are in the patriotic space. We will be opening up for speakers to come up. Uh, just uh, <clears throat> a few points that Uguli uh, uh, needs to just uh, touch on, and then. Uh, maybe we'll try and do just around uh, quarter past nine. I think we'll be opening up for speakers to also come up and uh, just uh, engage with Nguli. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we've been seeing your, your requests. It's not that we are just ignoring them. Uh, we just want to ensure that he is able to unpack from his side before we can just uh, have uh, our speakers <clears throat> engage him. And uh, his space, it is, it is recorded, so we'll just ask uh, everyone just uh, when we engage, let us do it in a professional manner as well, uh, because we have to post these spaces uh, in other platforms, um, and there's quite strict rules with regards to that. Um, yeah, maybe let me go to the question here. Before I go there, please, uh, uh, co-host, just... Uh, Manage the questions from me, Lapagu, Angenayo, Lapanabu, good question box. Host, just manage for me if there's anything that's coming on the inbox as well. Kuma uh, DMs, please just manage those. As you can see, me, I'm, I'm on my other account. I'm not on PSAF Live account. So if you can just manage that for us. Thank you very much. Um, maybe let's jump into the Ishuga Gasiri. And um, I also want to look at the issue of enforcing AMA bylaws within, specifically around uh, Johannesburg, um, because I think that's the main concern. And if you if you're looking at the city of Johannesburg Metro Municipality, the main uh, center of attraction will be uh, Johannesburg um, CBD. Um, and uh, I, I just want to jump into a question here, uh, just maybe, uh, and then uh, we'll, after after that, just also maybe unpack around the issue Yama Yama bylaws as you understand it, and the enforcing of um, Yama bylaws, uh, specifically looking at Johannesburg. So, you know, the Siri um, experience was really unfortunate. Um, we had one chance uh, to show the people of Joburg that uh, change is possible. How this thing started was um, we sat together, you know, uh, MC Ufunzi to say, look, we've got a problem in the inner city. And the problem that we face in the inner city is the proliferation of um, uh, undocumented migrants in the trading space. And uh, it's illegal in its context. We need to regulate uh, and regularize that space, especially after we had passed on uh, passed the informal trade policy. 
And how we looked to it was to make sure that we uh, get everybody that is a trader in the streets to come and vet themselves. So we sort we went on this uh, operation, which was normal, a normal part of uh, uh, bylaw enforcement. It's called Biamtet. Um, on the day we decided, on this particular day, we're going to get there. Before people start to trade, we want them to come and verify themselves. We'll put trading stalls in there. Bear in mind that we had been there's about 14 or 15 different informal trader associations uh, represented in the city. And we had been engaging with them, you know, taking them along. I'd been having lots of talks with them, and the large majority had been supportive. But uh, there was one particular um, uh, informal trader association called SAITF that uh, appeared to represent um, foreign nationals. Now, the issue is not about foreign nationals. The issue is about undocumented migrants trading in that space and uh, practicing illegal uh, uh, um, uh, um, services in that uh, particular space. So we have said to them, you guys come and verify yourselves. We've got a rent roll. We start with De Villiers. There's only 200 traders in De Villiers, but the optics don't lie. There's about 600 when you go there. They're trading in the middle of the street. They're trading on the pavements. Uh, it is just complete lawlessness. And these guys refused to come and verify themselves. So they hey, they they they, they had a, we had a standoff with them, and they refused completely. So what happened was they went to Seri uh, to say, look, we are being victimized for uh, for trading in this space. And I said to them, but you're not being victimized. All we want is for you to just come and verify that you are who you say you are. The policy is very clear. One trader, one stall, and the person that trades, there has to be that particular person. But the thrift market in itself and the... Uh, illegal goods market is so big and it's got such vested interest in that space uh, that these people were not prepared to do it. Um, I got a call from Siri on a Saturday evening saying that I must present myself at a press conference on a Monday. Um, and I said to them, but it's not like I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I've got a full day, you know. Um, rather come to my office, let's have a meeting. Uh, they refused. Then I got a call from uh, the mayor on Popalazzi on a Monday morning saying, look, I'm seeing Siri today. You have put the city into disrepute. I am going to, you know, legal is advised us that uh, we are um, in violation of uh, the constitutional court order. And therefore, I'm going to be meeting with them and I'm going to issue a statement. So immediately I went and I spoke to Mashaba to say, hey, look, here's what's happening. Mashaba went straight to the coalition uh, oversight committee to stop this process because Here's my own mayor throwing me under the bus and I'm part of the MMC. And I'm saying to them, we did not violate. What they're citing, there's part A and part B of the Concord of 2013. And part B, <clears throat> uh, what, what they're citing it on is that when Pakistan went and uh, stopped traders, they demolished stalls, they stopped them from trading, they confiscated goods. We did none of that. None. All we said was, just come and verify, here's a desk. So we're not in violation. You can't say we're in violation. We just need to make sure that we enforce our laws properly. I got Home Affairs involved. I got SAPS involved. And um, they decided that, no, this is not the way we should go. Legal has given us this uh, um, input. And before you know it, Seri issued the statement. The mayor's statement came from Seri. It didn't come from the mayor's office. So Seri had been building up the statement. When Mabina Siabe went to go and speak to uh, at that uh, conference, 
said it already published a statement that says the mayor condemns uh, the actions of MMC Mbondo. Now you ask yourself, how does Siri get a hold of the statement? Because Mabini could not issue the statement because they'd been stopped from a coalition perspective. But nonetheless, the statement went out and I was condemned. And then I said to the guys of legal, and I pointed out that this is not Operation Clean Sweep. We did not violate anything. How did you guys decide to go and settle out of court with Siri? They said it was an urgent application. I said, but how did you not consult me as a respondent? They said, no, because it was urgent and, oh, yeah, we made a mistake. And I said, but you see, now the optics that are going into public are such that we are in violation of the city when we are not. You should not have done that. And, and I expressed my disappointment to Mpopala, say, even in our last Mayoko meeting, she will tell you, smack in the middle of just cabinet, in fact. And I said, I'm so disappointed that we had one chance to go and fix this thing, but you curtailed us and you closed us down. So now we've got to go back and start to try and figure out how we put the structures in place, the task team, the informal trader, um, uh, stakeholder forum, and and, and and decision must come from there and so on. When we could have made sure that we deal decisively with illegal trading in the city and we can demonstrate that it is doable. We need a strong arm to make it happen. But, uh, you know, like Lucas says, I was you know, thrown, thrown under the bus and they uh, subsequent to that was that let's just try and put up the structures. Before you know it, we're illegally ousted in, um, uh, on the 29th of September. So it lost momentum. We could not pick up. By the time we came back on the 25th of October, uh, it was leading towards the holiday period. The officials were not working. There was uncertainty. So it took time. But then we focused and said, look, let's make sure that we implement this thing. Come January, we're going to go hard. And by the time we came back in January, we were ousted again. So we could not finish up on, um, on the process. So that whole Siri uh, thing is really, really unfortunate. And I think it's, it talks to uh, the policies that we put in place moving forward about the powers that the NGOs uh, have uh, in the judiciary. Right? We cannot have AMA NGOs coming to dictate to us. These are not patriotic people. These people do not care about South Africa. They don't care about the well-being of our people. We've got 74% youth unemployment, 50% unemployment. Our own people are suffering. You cannot feed your neighbor's kids until yours are, are full. So it brings me to a point to say South Africa must be for South Africans. Number one, priority. Unfortunately, we are restricted by the laws today that it says in the Immigration Act 13 of 2002 that an asylum seeker is allowed to trade. So they ride on that thing. But are these people really asylum seekers? Hell no. These are economic migrants. They come into the country and then they leave in December to go home and then come back again. These are not asylum seekers. These are economic migrants. So I went to, to home affairs and said, but let me have a look at your database. Your, there's a database called HANIS, the Home Affairs National Identification System. And then there's asylum seeker database. They don't talk to each other. So home affairs in itself is in tatters. So they are not even in a position where they can regulate um, uh, immigrants coming into the country. They don't respond in time. I can put it clearly that there is no political repression taking place in these countries where these people are coming from. There is no political depression. There's no war. These are, these are uh, uh, migrants, and not just African migrants, by the way, because we are being accused of being xenophobic. They come from the rest of Africa. They come from uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, China, East Europe. 
right? So when we talk about illegal immigration, it's across the board. And they come and trade in the streets. There's no reason why somebody should cross the border to come and do someone's hair, uh, you know, on the side of the road. So how we need to address this thing is by introducing a uh, law that talks to reserved sectors where you have got particular sectors of the market that are reserved for South Africans. Hairdressing, motor mechanics, puzzle shops, um, Uber drivers, ride hailers, uh, the scooter guys. I mean, hell knows how these guys even get their licenses uh, to, to, to ride scooters. So those have got to be reserved for our people. And this is what we are taking as a message into 2024. To say, let's first look after our people. We are open to the people of the world, but they must be here legally and they must obey our laws. I, for one, have been an expert in an expert, especially rather in, uh, in, in foreign countries. I have had to have my paperwork right before I leave. Like I said earlier, I was turned back on the same flight uh, from Nigeria because my visa had expired and I was not aware. It was only my second trip. You know, innocent as I was, going to del- deliver value. Um, in that uh, particular country, I had to fix it and then go back. And each time I was there, I needed to keep my paperwork right next to me. So why are we taking on the problems of the world? Why are we a country where failed governments outsource their problems to us? We should not. We should take a very tough stance on migration. They can call us xenophobic if they want to. If it means that we need to um, uh, 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 bring law and order into our country's xenophobic, so be it. We don't care. But I think we need to fix that. We can't be a welfare state of other countries. We need to fix it. And once we fix it, then we can take care of the rest. We've got a finite tax base of 7.8 million people that pay tax in the country. It cannot deliver for the 15 or 20 million uh, illegal uh, uh, migrants that are in the country. So, so the issue around Siri is so contentious and so important uh, as a case that uh, we need to make sure that uh, we regulate how NGOs do their work. But we also need to make sure that we simply implement bylaws uh, strictly, right, at a municipal level, but also at a national level and holding uh, the judiciary uh, responsible. We cannot have this crisis continue. It continues like this. It is not sustainable. We are not going to be uh, to have a country with kids who cannot have school, don't have access to schools today. But migrant kids get access to schools. So what we are saying is, can everybody just be here, be legally, and bring value, bring skill, bring scarce skill, not elementary work. So yeah, I mean that's what happened with uh, with uh, Siri. Let me just uh, uh, pause the for one. All right. Um, thank, thank you. We are in conversation with Ngulimbundu uh, and uh, a patriot. Uh, I think you can to this question. Actually, I was supposed to uh, start this question from the adoption of informal trader uh, policy. Uh, maybe you can um, briefly just take us through um, uh, the, the initial work and uh, yeah, how, how, how did you uh, sort of uh, start that off. Uh, what what prompted you uh, in that in, in in your portfolio at that time just to initiate that? I uh, know it's well documented that victory, and uh, just in terms of what was it looking to address? Um, yeah, maybe just uh, uh, if if you can just give a, a quick synopsis with regards to that. But let me give to co-host before you jump into that. 
um, yeah, yeah, you can just uh, uh, direct, and then Google will 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 pick up. Okay, thank you. I just wanted to know, can us as citizens, can we take Siri to court over the whole situation? Like, is it possible for an ordinary citizen, like if we decide, okay, Siri, we're going to take you to court over this matter, can we do that? Well, here, um, look, we've got laws, right? And the laws permit the likes of Siri to approach the courts uh, and, and put applications in front of the courts. Uh, our laws today uh, are structured in such a way that it empowers that to happen. There's freedom to do that. So, so we could debate this at a constitutional court level. I don't, th- I don't think it's about Syria. I think it's, about, it's, it's above Syria. It's about really about enforcing our, our laws, our Immigration Act and holding the Home Affairs accountable. So if there's anybody we will take to court, it's Home Affairs. If we were to crowdsource uh, legal funding, it's home affairs that we've got to hold accountable because they've got a constitutional responsibility to keep our borders safe. They've got a constitutional responsibility to make sure that whoever is here is here legally. So this is an entity that needs to be taken to court. Syria is a very small fry in this thing, right? They've uh, uh, exploited a loophole, call it what it is, right? Uh, and they will continue doing that because they are heavily funded by uh, other parties from outside of the country. And my view, and this is my personal view, right, that this funding is really geared towards modern-day slavery. Because illegal immigrants are not unionized, right? By the way, I, I don't believe in unions, okay, to start with, because it, it's, it's really destructive. But because they don't have rights, you can exploit them. So the people who are defending this, if you go to any restaurant today, it's foreigners who are serving you. Why? Because cheap labor and they will not complain. So big business has got to be held accountable. So there's two parts that need to be taken uh, 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 to account here. Number one is, is home affairs to make sure that they deliver on their constitutional mandate. Number two is big business, medium sized and big business that keep hiring these people these are the people that we need to take to court. The likes of Syria will fall by the wayside because the law allows them to do what they do. So if we have to do anything, those are the two entities that we've um, got to focus on. Now, coming back to the question, Yaran uh, Kunzi, is that when we came in in December 2021, we looked at priorities and said, look, what do we need to focus on in the first 100 days um, in office, which turned out to be a 200-day um, uh, function because... We were delayed by uh, protracted uh, negotiations and so on. So we had lost about three weeks uh, from November to about mid-December. So it became a 200-day uh, program. Now, I, as economic development, I had uh, a simple task. Number one, eradicate unemployment. Number two, stimulate the economy and uh, the development of uh, small businesses. Very, very important. Number three, make the city attractive to invest in. And then I looked around and said, the city for me is a city of Johannesburg, the hub. When you look at the 1950 spatial plan, people leave Emma Petra, also in the Rosebank, to exchange taxi every, and then go to Rosebank, right? Uh, the same way as somebody who comes from Tembisa who works in Santin. Oh, not in Santin, but no, maybe around Joburg. So it's, it's a hub. It's, it's a, this is where the economy functions. Now, I started 
realizing that a lot of big businesses had, had left. The last uh, tenant that left was uh, Anglo. Um, and uh, there was a capital flight out of the city of Johannesburg. So the focus was how do we recover the city of Johannesburg? Number one, bring back the rule of law. Number two, regulate the trading space because wherever you go, there's trading everywhere and uh, there's filth everywhere because there are no services that uh, these people are paying for. Um, so let's, let's fix that. So we sought to fix that. And then the policy was there. It was in draft. It was in draft. It started in 2018. It went through public participation. Um, it went through the Section 79 subcommittee uh, oversight uh, that looks at it. And eventually, all it had to be done was just to be implemented and passed in council. It's simple as that. So we took a policy that was already there. We could not add anything to it. We could not change anything to it. All we could do was just implement and then put amendments later. So we took the ANC and the EFF's own policy and put it into action. So what we did was just action, just make sure that it is put in place. Now that it's uh, put in place, okay, now we're going to go for a second round of uh, amendments and look at the localization rules and so on and how people need to trade. And and, and, and. So there's nothing um, mind-blowing that we did. We simply just implemented what they had. Uh, noting that there's a number of these policies that are in place but were never enacted. Why? Because two, two reasons. Number one, there's vested interest in keeping status quo. There are people who are benefiting out of chaos. And number two, is just pure basic ineptitude, just the inability and lack of political will to make that change. And that's what we introduced into it. And that's why we go to a point where we pass informal trade policy. It, 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 promised the, it promised us the ability to to transform the city of Johannesburg. We're going to reduce uh, trading spaces, demarcate particular spaces, and make sure that uh, our people make more money uh, and the people that are deserving of it can grow up the value chain and not just remain traders. We were looking to improve their lives by eradicating illegality. Unfortunately, it was uh, it is what it is that uh, you know we, we got ousted before we could uh, continue. Today, I mean, I can tell you, it's been almost 60 days since this uh, administration has come into play. Nothing has happened. Zero. So you ask yourself the question, what have they done? If you know, when you if you came to my office, you'd see ITP informal trade policy was priority number one with a list of activities, the system that we need to put in place and so on. But guess what? Sixty days into the administration, zero has been done. I can tell you for a fact that informal traders probably have not been consulted up until this point. So that is not gonna change. So it boils down to political will. So answering your question and Kunz and and Yukia is really we need just to go back and um and, and, and really hold the Home Office accountable and, uh, and big business, but also hold our government accountable for implementing and doing what is right. There's a lesser hope of the latter because there is no political will, because their will is just to eat, nothing else but to eat. They're looking at deals, they're looking at tenders, they're looking at how they're going to raise money for their campaign moving into 2024. There's absolutely zero to do with uh, service delivery to our people. I'll pause. Thank you. Um, that is the voice of Councillor uh, Gulimbundu uh, joining us on the patriotic space. Uh, let's look on the the the, the national elections uh, which are coming in 2024 and the road to the uh, 2024 national elections. Now speaking, action essay. Now um, I think we can both agree 
um, in terms of the high unemployment rates, some of the, the major uh, challenges uh, impacting uh, ordinary South Africans, uh, looking at the, at the crime levels in the country, uh, unemployment, uh, service delivery. Uh, what what are the plans um, from Action SA um, in, in put in place in terms of um, addressing those? And what is what 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 are you guys looking at in terms of uh, um, the the twenty twenty four elections? What in terms of are you looking to go into the national assembly? I assume that is the part of the plan. But uh, maybe just uh, to unpack in terms of those two questions. Yeah, so so maybe let's uh, let's 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 agree uh, that coalitions are the future. So the twenty twenty four government is going to be a coalition. Um, what is that likely to look like? It, um, you've got a block. You've got three blocks. You've got an ANC EFF coalition, um, which is the worst possible uh, option. You've got a DA ANC coalition, which. Uh, I would really love to have uh, quietly because uh, that's the end of the DA uh, having sold their votes. But then you've got a third uh, angle, uh, which is the um, Action SA, Freedom Front Plus, ACDP, IFP, and uh, maybe a few other entrants coming into play. So we understand that the landscape is that it's going to be coalition. Now let's go back to our vision uh, as Action SA, right? So we talk about a shared future for our children. We talk about overcoming the legacy of apartheid. We cannot fight uh, the way people are fighting today. You organize an a, a, a anarchist march just for the sake of it. But you've got to understand that to overcome the legacy of apartheid, you've got to fix the education system. You've got to fix the healthcare system. It's just the basics, right? You've got to eradicate corruption. South Africa is going for South Africans, guaranteed. We've got to make sure that we put our people first. So in terms of immigration laws, we have to be extremely um, um, uh, tight on, uh, on implementing them. Uh, ethical leadership. We need more people to come into government that are ethical leaders, that are not coming in because they are hungry, uh, that are coming in because they do believe that they can bring change. And that takes a lot of sacrifice. We're talking about equal opportunity for every South African, there has to be an equal opportunity. Uh, now, there's a difference between equal opportunity and or equal in equity. Equity talks to making sure that um, you give advantage to those that were disenfranchised, but not at the disadvantage of the others, which is why we're going to scrap BE altogether, because it just doesn't work. BE works only for a few select click. Uh, I mean, if I have to ask any of the patriots here to say who's a beneficiary of BE, probably no one, because BE just benefits. The policy is great, but the implementation was a cater implementation. It's about how it was implemented. We've got to transform that. So you've got to transform that equity space in terms of giving opportunities to small businesses. I can give you an example. One of the biggest challenges that we have in the country today is um, is something called Yama Credit Bureau. So you skip on your payment once or twice, and small businesses will struggle. Then you've got a bad payment record and no banks want to finance you. Guess what? In the U.S., you fail 10 times. The 11th time, they'll still fund you. We've got to have a risk-taking uh, uh, appetite. We've got to recognize that when we give opportunity to young black people in particular, uh, we 
take the notion that we scrap this whole credit bureau system that disadvantages them and take a chance, you know, and, and, and give them that opportunity, but not indiscriminate. I think there's more than enough uh, to share on, 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 on the platter. Then you talk about, uh, you know, a socially just government. We've got to be able to look after the vulnerable of our communities. Right now, we've got a big, big, big problem of uh, social grant beneficiaries. Um, people are living longer. They're saying the first person that is going to live to 180 years old is already alive. Now, you can imagine you work for 60 years of your life, and you save up a certain amount of money, um, then you're going to live another 100 years thereafter. There's not enough uh, uh, money to cater for you. So we've got to now start to look at how to extend the working life because these people are, are active and economically active to stretch the retirement age and push it forward so that somebody who's 60, 70 still has a brain, still has hands, still has the ability to work. Stop forcing people to stop working earlier. Let them work longer and they're more committed, Right. Uh, I spoke about the education system that uh, recognizes talent. We, when we grew up, we used to have um, um, technical colleges where we'd go to woodwork, uh, go to plumbing, to whatever. We've got to bring those back because not everyone is going to make it to university. But yet, there is lots of people that have got skills, that uh, artisan skills, that are able to convert those skills into something meaningful for their lives. You disenfranchise them when you say you've got to be a university graduate. No, let us get technical colleges back up, you know, from well, grade 10 now it is. Some people are not going to even make metric. It's fine, accept that, but they've got the skill. So you've got to open up technical colleges where you can get artisan skills training taking place. The last part is safety and security. We cannot compromise on safety and security. Um, safety and security also talks to the point around the death penalty. Now, I know that it's a burning point. Should we bring the death penalty? Yes, I believe we should. Okay, it is a deterrent. Um, if you know you are going to die, you know, if you know you're going to be caught, number one, and when you're caught, you are going to die for a particular crime, you are less likely to commit that crime. The challenge we face, though, today is that our judiciary system is not mature enough. Uh, we are likely to kill a lot more innocent people uh, simply because we do not have an efficient um, uh, judiciary system. So we've got to fix that part first. Fix it and make sure that, uh, you know, cases don't go missing. Documents, some documents don't go missing. That uh, people in the SAPS and people in correctional services and justice understand their functions. So we've got to professionalize that space before you can bring something like a death penalty into play. Because otherwise, you're going to have, uh, you're going to hang a lot of uh, innocent people. And I don't think that's where we want to be. But uh, we do believe that you've got to bring the death penalty, but you've got to do it responsibly and make sure that the things that uh, the ancillary support functions or the ecosystem is well functioning. So there's a lot of work that needs. I think we're probably about five years from, from the death penalty because we've got a lot of work to fix uh, uh, correctional services, a lot of work to fix. I mean, look at what happened in Tabo Pesta. You know, a guy fakes his death and he escapes from him high security prison what on earth is that escape from a security, high security and he goes and lives a, a comfortable lifestyle until somebody spots him by chance so that tells you that there is a problem within our system in itself and it's a culture of bribery you still have a lot of people that take bribes to support this criminality so once we deal with that once we have dealt with that then we can start to talk about bringing the issues around uh, the death penalty so that we can protect the people who are innocent uh, in that uh, in that instance, I'll pause.
All right. Uh, maybe as we as we wrap up, so that we can open up for the for the speakers. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, we saw that motion which was tabled uh, by uh, one of the councillors uh, this week uh, with regards to the issue in building uh, toilets, and uh, we saw it playing out here on Twitter. Uh, I won't say much uh, around that. Uh, I think I'll give you a free free reign to shoot from all angles in terms of addressing that. And then you can just speak to any other point thereafter that you feel it's important for you to touch on. And then I'll be taking uh, the speakers thereafter. <laughs> so so I had a, an exchange locating yesterday. And I said to him, look, Alida, I don't like to argue with you on Twitter because we've got a common purpose. But I think your association with the ANC is bringing your party down. He'll tell you that. It's bringing your, your, your brand down. Uh, you've been doing such good work. Uh, but this is not it. What we experienced in council last week, here we table a motion to say, um, we need to build toilets for the informal settlements. Bear in mind, in the 2016-2019 era, Hemen Mashaba electrified uh, the Cape Town settlement because you wanted to bring dignity to the people, which is one of the reasons why um, the, the DA uh, conspired to get him out, because they were saying, look, you are using our money uh, to go and uh, build toilets for people and uh, electricity for people that are not paying for services and so on. And Emmanuel Shah said, look, I cannot sleep at night if my people don't have toilets and don't have electricity. So we have always been pro-poor. Now here we bring a motion to say we need to eradicate a citywide eradication of the bucket toilet system and come to the voting. The EFF, the ANC, and the PA shoot down the vote. They don't support it. Now, I, I, I don't expect much from the ANC, right? So it's, it's, it's not in their interest. But I expected some support from uh, the PA to say, yes, this is Cape Town. Uh, this is an informal settlement. Let us support in building toilets. And they didn't. So they shot that thing down so the vote didn't pass. And I was then surprised to see Gaten come back and defend this thing, saying, no, but you can't build toilets when the houses are falling apart. Hold on, we're talking about informal settlements. We're not talking about places with, with houses. The pictures that he posted were houses. Nothing to do with Imikuku, where we want, where we electrified before, want to bring toilets. Yes. Great idea that let's build them houses. But that item is not even anywhere close to any agenda in council today to, to, to build homes. The city doesn't even have that kind of money uh, to build homes. But at least can we give people dignity in the process? There's a young girl right now, as we speak, who's on a period who has to navigate to find a toilet at night. Can you not give her dignity? And she's going to navigate through you know, all these uh, dangerous uh, corners in that space, can't we at least give them dignity so that by the time they wake up tomorrow, they at least can focus on being productive. So them shooting down this thing is taking away dignity from our people. And the logic is just completely flawed, with all due respect. Like Gaten, I respect him, but this is just completely flawed. It was just an injustice to our people. What happened there was uh, cattle voting was to oppose for the sake of opposing. Bear in mind, there's something called the programming committee. So before any item goes to council, it goes through a programming committee uh, that 
decides and is represented by all political parties, at least two members, I think, uh, per party, uh, that decides what has to be tabled in council. Then we later learn that, no, these guys are now trying to push this motion in, um, in council. They'll bring it back. In the next council meeting or the following one, maybe in May, they'll bring it back as theirs. So it's political point scoring, nothing to do with um, serving the residents of the city. They'll bring it back. And, and this is where I'm saying we need mature opposition. We need mature politics. Let us not shoot down an idea simply because it comes from a particular party. Let's support it. We supported so many uh, motions that came from uh, the EFF. Orange Farm uh, has got uh, sections that don't have street names, for example. They can't find uh, the people. You, you can't do anything. So we said, we'll support that motion. You know, Ivory Park, uh, demarcation, there's a particular part of Ivory Park that's between Egulene and uh, the city of Johannesburg. We supported their motion to say, we need to uh, review the demarcation, make sure that it, it falls into the right speed. Zanspreets and all these, we support them. So we don't say we don't support simply because you're AFF. No, because it means service delivery. But it was hugely disappointing to watch uh, the PA and the EFF reject uh, and rob our people of dignity. For me, it was just completely hypocritical. When you say, I want to serve my people, but then you turn around and you shoot down something like this simply because it comes from EF, from uh, from HNSA. We should not be like that. It, again, it talks to the maturity of, uh, of our politics. We need to understand that we are there as elected councillors to serve in the interest of the people. And therefore, when something comes and it makes sense, let us all jointly support it. Right? We may disagree on ideology. We may disagree on strategy and so on. It's okay. You know, some are socialists, some are capitalists. But when it comes to basic service delivery, if we're saying we're pro-poor, let us all agree and support. And that is maturity. And to watch those guys, those councillors not supporting this thing, for me, said to, you know, our problems are even deeper. Even worse when, you know, the leader comes and defends it. I would have accepted if he said, hey, I think my people made a mistake. I will deal with it. That way it's more humane, you know. But to come back and try and defend it and try and deflect and present a different picture, you know, it was uh, just just completely demotivating. But let's hope that uh, they'll bring it and we'll support it. If they decide to bring it uh, under their banner, we will support it. We're not going to uh, uh, oppose it for the sake of opposing it because our people need the services. Our people are desperate for services. Us as councillors, we are there elected by people to, you know, to, to, to improve the lives of our people. That's our responsibility. That's the oath that we take in office when we go in as councillors. And people need to understand their functions and their responsibilities for the jobs that they take, uh, that they get into. Uh, you are tuned into the you are tuned into the patriotic space. Uh, we'll open up uh, for questions and uh, submissions uh, from our speakers. Um, uh, host Kia, please, you will uh, drive this for me, and uh, just the order of speakers. Uh, before we go into the speakers, just uh, some rules uh, around uh, that. I think we'll allocate uh, three minutes to each speaker. And this is a patriotic space. It's about finding uh, solutions uh, for South Africans. And uh, we will only be taking uh, questions and engaging South Africans uh, because we, we want to advance uh, the cause of the South Africans. So, yeah, uh, that's just the, the the rules around that. Maybe before we jump into questions, uh, I'll give uh, Councillor Mundu 
just to the next two minutes if there's any other additional points that uh, maybe not two minutes let me not uh, limit you for time any other additional points before into we go into questioning maybe we'll open up at uh, half past uh, nine we'll, we'll take our first round of speakers maybe if there's any additional points that you want to uh, touch on before i take on the the speakers yeah, good. Look, I think maybe let's 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 open it up. I think there's going to be a lot more questions, um, uh, and I'd like to give that opportunity for our patrons to ask the the questions up. But I think just the one thing is that uh, uh, we need to stand up and take a stand, right? We need to be decisive as patriots about rescuing our uh, our country, our cities, and our country. And for that to happen, we've got to be involved in politics. We've got to be able to, we've got to be involved in lobbying people to get out there and go and vote and dilute that vote. The only way, the only power that we have today is our vote. Again, I'm not saying vote HNSA. I'm saying just vote for anyone else, just not the ANC, so that you can dilute that and deal with this demon that we've got, um, you know, that is uh, an evil spirit amongst us, so to speak, which is never going to change. But... I'll pause then. Let's uh, take a couple more questions. Thank you. Uh, Kia, you are up. Uh, this is where you, I will hand it over to you just to drive in terms of the uh, order of speakers. Uh, yeah, let's open it up for questions then. Okay, um, thanks, Mkunzi. It's going to be Pico, and then it was supposed to be Lelo. Loro, Bilolo, but she's gone. So it's going to be Pico. And then it's going to be Let's Fix SA. And then Elmo. And then after Elmo, it's Tabo. And then it's going to be Tepo. So Pico first. Uh, thanks, co host. Uh, greetings, Kunzi, and the host, and Sabona uh, Branguli. Just two things for me. Uh, the first one is a comment. The second one is a question. Uh, the first comment that I want to make is the is the appreciation of the 2021 uh, local government elections, which uh, Action SA has pulled through. I think they contested about five municipalities, if I'm not mistaken. But it managed to pull through over 500,000 votes which had led us to be around number six in the whole country. The whole country has about 257 municipalities, but we only the Action SAC only contested those. So it, it was through the help of Gauteng and Kaiseren. Those are the two. So I just want to, to acknowledge that in your, in your province, Wenabrankuri, that you have worked very hard there. Uh, I'm commenting on the basis that your statement to say you are encouraging votes uh, that's that that's the only message i preach to people who are here i even said you must have a deliberate attempt yourself if you want to unseat this government to campaign for a cause that's the first comment then the second question would be on the on the preempt that uh, action is is being uh labeled as DA light and uh, I would love to weigh in there uh, for myself I, I've never been a member of the DA I've never even voted DA before but I found traction to action SA and I was listening even to your history 
how do you preempt and respond to to those people always weigh in and said you are the light thanks very much uh, cost i'll listen Kia, uh, do I uh, respond to each question individually or do we wait for all questions to be um, asked? Uh, I think we'll take uh, two people at a time. So uh, Pico's question was how you feel about um, being labeled DA light. So now we'll bring in Let's Fix SA and hear her question and then you can answer their questions. Uh, thank you very much, Kia. Thanks to all the hosts and co-hosts. And thank you, Nguli, uh, for taking us into your confidence tonight. So I have one comment and maybe one or two questions. First of all, I want to acknowledge and, and appreciate what you as the coalition government have done, have attempted to do, you know, in the city of Joburg. Personally, I'm a resident of city of Ikurulin, but I work for the Turquoise Bank and I frequent, you know, downtown because that's where my bread and butter is manufactured there by Bank City. I saw, I witnessed the work that yourselves, you know, and the, and the coalition government cohort um, did in the relatively short space of time when you were, before you were ousted. Thank you, thank you, thank you. None of your efforts have gone unnoticed. And this is from myself and I'm sure each and every, uh, you know, patriot that is or may not be, um, you know, on the space. Um, now, now to my first question. You speak of us being decisive, you speak of decisiveness, you speak of us going out there to lobby, you know, to, to, to get people to vote um, in the next 12 months or so. I have a 17-year-old daughter. I have a 20-year-old nephew. They are products of me, I would like to believe. Very, very engaged, very observant, very aware. What I'm still battling with is how do I bring them along on this journey? Or rather, how does is Action SA trying to bring them along on the journey? They are the voters of next year. My daughter will be a first-time voter next year. My nephew has never voted. And I would like for him to vote next year. What is, what is or what can we do? How do we, you know, how do we gain their confidence? How do we how do we speak to them in the language that they understand? You know, I'm 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 gonna leave that question there because I need help. Personally, I need help. She's my child, but there are 20 others, you know, in her of her age, in her school, in her class. So if 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 I could have insights and strategies of how to communicate politics at her level. It will help not just me, probably, but twenty other parents. Um, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it there, uh, out of you know respect for time. 
my next question, I hope someone else <laughs> uh, among the speakers will ask, but it ties back to patriotism in our schools. How can South Africa teach patriotism to these kids in the schools? Should we be teaching patriotism? If yes, how, when, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Thank you very much, Gia, and thank you, everyone, once again. That's all from me. Thank you. Let's uh, fix essay. So maybe let me just start with the people's question. I, I think um, if you consider the, the base of um, uh, action essay, it's made up of a number of people that have left the um, the DA, but not only that, right? So we've attracted voters from or supporters from uh, the DA, the ANC, um, to a certain extent, EFF, and so on. I myself came from the ANC. I didn't come from the DA. It is. Uh, it is a narrative that is being pushed, so, and it's a racial narrative that is being pushed. Uh, you know, once you are in the ANC EFF uh, frame, uh, it's a very myopic space. All they preach and what they're good at doing is to attach DA to racism. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, doesn't matter. But uh, they, 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 they preach that, they preach this revolution uh, type of thinking, right? Um, it's unfortunate that, that that is the case. We are not DA light. We are not friends with the DA. We are not partners with the DA. But we are coalition partners for a common purpose. Now, we were faced with two evils, right? The DA has got the pace. It's got the numbers. The ANC has got the numbers. Um, who is the lesser evil that you're going to get into bed with. And for us, it was the DA. Simply because of um, at least a lesser history of uh, uh, or narrative around corruption. Remember, we we, 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 we challenging corruption as public enemy number one. ANC is synonymous with corruption and we've got to remove the ANC. So we had to find partners um, to walk the journey with. But we are not friends. And it's important that we are not friends. Uh, it's important that coalition partners are not friends, right? So that we can hold each other accountable. We are opposition partners, uh, partners that have come into play as opposition parties. Um, and in that way, we are able to then hold each other accountable, at least as a common thread that says we need good governance. Now, you may argue and say, yeah, but in Swane, there's 10 billion rand and this and that and the other. We've dealt with it. We've dealt with uh, the uh, 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 municipal manager and uh, uh, the mayor in Swane on that on, on those basis. So we hold each other accountable. We made it a point that we're the ones that pushed hard on Randall Williams to to leave uh, the um, uh, as mayor because we realized that they were not delivering and uh, it was a risk uh, to us. So we could therefore act on it. So in coalitions, you are going to find. Uh, that we have to have a partner. There is no option. There are just not enough numbers for us to stand up on our own unless we really campaign hard and we come back in 2024 and we uh, we have built a, a solid base. So for now, we will work with whoever it is that at least espouses some of our values. Now, DA Light is, is, is just a political rhetoric that these guys push.
But they know. They know themselves that we, there's nothing about DA life. Yes, Seven Masha was in the DA. Yes, before Bonnie came, he was in the DA. Yes, Funzi was in the DA. Yes, a number of our leaders were in the DA. Michael Pomond was in the DA and so on. Okay. Uh, but that does not mean that we are DA life. And I think we need to go on a uh, campaign to disassociate ourselves as a party from this DA narrative and establish our own identity based on our own values. And I think that is uh, ongoing currently. If you've seen the spat that has been taking place between uh, our leaders, Michael Beaumont, uh, John Steinhazen and so on, it, it tells you that we are still friends. So this whole thing of DA light is something that needs to be demystified. Um, so so, so th- right now it's a question of saying who can we get to bed with to make sure that we can at least unseat the ANC and deliver on our services. To move on to the question from uh, Let's Fix SA. Uh, so thank you so much. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. It's really encouraging to to know that the work that we have been doing is um, being recognized. Now, coming to the point around how do you manage the young voters, your 17-year-old daughter and your 20-year-old um, nephew, is um, how well we get established to communicate to the youth in a channel that they understand. I did raise this within the party. These guys are on, on TikTok. Right? They are on YouTube more than they are on Twitter and Facebook, for example. So social, social media strategy has got to uh, uh, transform. And I did raise this thing um, to say we need to improve our engagement in that part. The other part that we're doing, we're getting into gamification, uh, targeting the current uh, matriculants and the young people. Uh, they, they, they understand it in their own context. And when you talk about gamification, is, is, is that we, we engage them um, in an interactive fashion, uh, teaching them what it means to vote. Now, this is a function that the IEC is meant to do. Voter education is the IEC's function. However, uh, the IEC is ANC. And the IEC is uh, hell-bent on keeping uh, the status quo as it is. I mean, if you consider what happened to us in the 2021 uh, local government elections when we campaigned on the logo, was because the IAC just could not want to do want to support us. So talk to get a deployment. So they are not they are failing in their responsibilities as a chapter nine institution. So we need to um, accelerate our drive for education, and that's what we are working on with something called the Youth Advisory Council uh, EAC. And these structures are now out there in universities. Uh, we are winning uh, SRCs left, right, and center. Uh, uh, you know, ahead of SASCO and the Youth Command, the EFF, and so on. So we've started with the universities, but I think we need to drill a bit down into the younger generation. Uh, you know, I think as families, we need to set aside time where we educate our kids, um, deliberate time, where we sit and have conversations to say, this is your future, why it is important for you to vote. It is unfortunate that Voter apathy is as a result of lack of confidence in politics and politicians. But it is incumbent upon us as parents to sit them down and educate them and give them access to these platforms. So we are going to be making platforms available between now and 2024 that educate um, the uh, the young people. Certainly we do believe, I mean, we've got a median age of 27.9 in South Africa. So our majority is young people. 
and therefore how we communicate with them uh, is going to be become very very important so here we need to just hold hands together and say as parents we set deliberate times. I sit with my kids and we talk about politics and they understand politics. I guess because I'm in politics, it becomes easier, you know, as a dinner table conversation. But I think we've got to normalize doing that. We've got to normalize getting them to understand that all you've got to do and take them, hold them by the hand. I remember in uh, the Furing uh, award that we were contesting in Soweto last year uh, sometime, uh, I don't know about winter last year, we went into the house and... Uh, we were doing door to door to collect people to come and vote. And the mother said, you know, my kids are in there. They don't want to vote. We went into the house. We fetched those kids. We took them to, to go and vote. And she was so happy. So I think there has to be that level of activism that takes place. But at least that activism starts around the dinner table amongst us as, uh, as parents. I'll pause. Um. Thank you. Before you take the next round of speakers, Gia, uh, I'll just ask the speakers who've already um, uh, asked their questions just to drop down to listeners. And if you want to rebut, you can always uh, request. We've got a number of uh, uh, requests coming through. We just need to free up some space for uh, new speakers as well. But uh, yeah, if uh, once your question has been answered, if you want maybe to ask a follow-up question, you can just uh, raise, uh, use the raise hand uh, emoji, and then I will give you an opportunity just maybe to ask a follow-up question. Uh, but yeah, just uh, if you are, if you've already posed your question, please just uh, drop down to listener. Thank you. Uh, over to you, Kia. Uh, thanks, Nkunzi. It's going to be Elmo, and then after Elmo, it's Tabo. So, Elmo, over to you. Evening, Kia Kunzi, PSAF Live with our guest speaker, Kobe. Once again, uh, congratulations for the patriotic work, Kobe, you've done, you and fellow councillors David Dembe, amongst ones, you've done for the city of Joburg residents. Leading off where the founder of Action SA, Herman Mashaba, left off in 2018 when he was the mayor of the city of Johannesburg in 2016. We thank you for that. You brought a lot of hope uh, to South Africans, as well as you've elaborated in one of our stories. Our mothers, our fathers, and siblings served uh, a lot of South Africans. Uh, during their service in South Africa, and it's unfair that, you know, upon retirement, they get displaced with the kleptocracy that is systematic depriving them of high-quality service in government. So with my question, um, I just want to say a comment to Ukiya as well as Unkoli uh, to say the issue that patriots, and maybe they'll come up those patriots, to say the issue that they raise regarding HNSA to say it's the elite, and it's also to respond to Pico, is the issue of the donor funding that happened before 1st November 2021 to say there were links that uh, HNSA, uh, their granddaughter or daughter of Nico Oppenheimer donated about 3 million rands. It was something to that effect. So I'm hoping that those patriots will just come clean and pose that question to Yungudu. But my question is regarding um, the illegal foreigner issue. 
Um, as we know, you were the Economic Development MEC. You've posted a lot on Twitter to say uh, um, you cannot repeat on the errors. Okay. No, no, carry on, Elmo. Yes, you cannot report on previous errors in 2016 to say you first have to get the municipalities um, uh, acts which were sitting, dusting of gathering dust instead of put, put, being put in motion and passed in municipality. So I'd like to know, even though health was not your portfolio, it was the Patriotic Alliance's MEC who or salts, um, just actually salts. Uh, because you'll remember that case, ongoing case, I think it started with Kodani Mahlangu regarding Rahima Musa Hospital, illegal foreigners flouting the hospital. MEC salts went there and found pregnant women sitting on lying on the floor. And recently, after U Jones, Mr. Jones, the then chairperson of Gauteng, South African Human Rights Commission, it's now revealed that it was actually illegal foreigners that were there. So I'd like to know, because we were working in the city of Jobex, uh, city clinics uh, under the ANC regime. Head count, as a UVL, was like 13 to 15,000, and 75 to 80% of those people were illegal foreigners. So what has been your experience when it comes to SALGA in imposing the illegal immigration laws? As you say, that it passed under the economic development when you clean the streets. Uh, I was also there in Park Station, Tivida Street. We did a lot of activism with Mama SA for Put South Africa versus also Action SA. We did a lot of work there with Operation Tutula other NPOs there. So I'd like to know what has been your experience and what you've been able to reveal regarding the non-implementation of illegal immigration laws, specifically dealing with local municipality, because it's under the Salka umbrella, which is very controversial because Salka didn't exist before 1996 under this democratic government of the ANC. That's my question. I learned there. Um, yeah, before we take the next speaker, uh, can you please uh, respect the space, please? Uh, we will give each and everyone on the speaker's podium an opportunity to speak. Please uh, remain, uh, put your mics on mute uh, when there's a speaker speaking on the on, on, on the floor and the host or co-host will recognize you and you'll get an opportunity. Please let's uh, do things in an orderly fashion and in an orderly manner. Uh, thanks. I don't know if Nguli will want to answer that one, or uh, Ki, are you taking the next, uh, are you taking the next uh, speaker? I think Nguli should, should answer that one first, and then we'll take a uh, table after. So Nguli, if you can just answer Elmo's question, please. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so Elmo, with regards to donor funding, so um, we need to understand that uh, political parties um, are funded. It's a global phenomenon. <clears throat> um, and generally, the people that fund are people that have got a vested interest. Either they've got business investments in the city or the province or the country, uh, or they're just simply patriotic because they don't um, like what they see happen. It's, 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 we can't turn down funding that comes. You may ask a question and say, what 
are the strings attached to that? Unfortunately, I don't know. I cannot answer that because I'm not part of those uh, donor conversations. Uh, yes, I'm involved in fundraising at a patriotic level, at a local level. I do raise funding for HNSA, but in a very, very minute scale. So I don't have an answer as to the decision for us to take money from the Oppenheimers um, and so on. But what you will notice is that uh, these parties have got common funders across the board with a vested interest in, in making sure that uh, they bring up uh, the dissenting uh, voice. Now, parties in parliament uh, today get uh, funding for campaigning. Right? Okay. So in parliament, the ANC, the EFF, uh, uh, the DA and, and, and everybody else do get a particular allocation from Treasury for funding. We don't because we are, you know, uh, growing organically. The only time we'd ever get funding is after 2024, once we are uh, firmly entrenched in national government, which we will be. Uh, so, so it's hard for us to not accept any funding because at some point you've got to make sure that you, you know, you, you oil the wheels, you make sure that the people can, we can campaign and you can get the, uh, stuff done right. So I think it's important to understand that uh, the color of money in this part, in this particular game is um, is not something that you can have a freedom to say no unless you know that you're being compromised. Uh, where we are right now, I don't think we're being compromised. I think it's big business that are coming on board saying we'll support you. Um, so so and we'll continue taking that money because we we've, we've got to spend money and now i've been involved in in in, in fundraising in action say and it's a very laborious process when you raise funding it goes straight into the party's bank account and then you claim against it uh, where you spend it then you claim against it so that there's proper accounting and governance if we are going to be in government we've got to be able to uh and we're saying we're gonna um uh, put uh, 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 uh governance uh, systems in place We've got to start within our own party. I've got a thick file of where I've collected 5,000 rents from this one person, 2,000 rents from that person, but straight into the party bank account, and then I can go and claim against it. And this is what we are doing to try and demonstrate that we can account for every cent that comes to the party. And that money goes into buying gazebos, speakers, T-shirts, transportation, food for launches, and so on, because it's part of the demobilization. To come to the part of... Um, illegal foreigners um, on health. No, we have not engaged with Salga. And uh, why we have not engaged? In fact, at, at some point, we had a uh, uh, a discussion amongst the coalition partners to stop funding Salga because Salga is ANC. That's what it is. Right? So we are funding a vehicle that is destabilizing uh, us and it does not bring any value whatsoever. So if you ask me what Salga has done for us, zero. Absolutely zero. Even more so with us coming in as um, a uh, multi-party government, we saw our resources being um, uh, constrained uh, and not getting any support to that extent uh, from uh, Salga, so to speak. When we talk about illegal foreigners, again, it's a massive problem. It is a massive problem. Let's not uh, shy away from the fact that this whole thing happened under the 28 years of ANC rule. The fact that in our hospitals, um, we have got undocumented migrants 
um, utilizing ourselves. They wake up early, by the way. They wake up at 2 in the morning to go and queue. So by the time our people get to the hospitals, uh, they're full. They get 10 back because these guys wake up very early to go and queue and take our services without paying for services. Again, it talks to the will of the current government today to um, uh, implement our bylaws and laws that are passed in, in parliament. And, and, and not all ANC councillors or um, parliamentarians are guilty of this. No, absolutely not. I mean, in the city of Johannesburg, uh, I was working with a particular councillor, Sitlen Gusa, is an ANC councillor. You know, we could disagree on uh, policy and, and, and so on, but we could agree that we've got to fix this issue around uh, illegal uh, immigration, right? So it is possible that you find counselors. And what I've seen, and I've had a lot of counselors come to me saying, hey, you know what, uh, you guys are doing a good job uh, and we don't have capacity to go and hit this guy's heart. You see that there's conscience, but they've got to follow the the, 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 the party line. So I think what's defeating us today is this whole party line that is led along a particular a particular path. Uh, again, to address the issue of illegal immigration, we really need to go back to the drawing board um, with uh, the uh, Department of Home Affairs and uh, the security cluster and make sure that we clean that space up. We rid it of corruption. We rid of culture uh, and, and, and make sure that it, it just goes away. I mean, if you think about it today, simple thing like um, I'm a traffic cop. You get stopped by uh, uh, traffic officers. It is common. It's like almost second nature for us to say, ah, I'm putting a license, 200 rand. That culture has to stop. We've got to stop it because it's just become endemic. It's like second nature to us. And this is what needs to stop. So we are not going to eradicate this thing in its entirety. Uh, we'll be dreaming if we think we'll er- eradicate uh, corruption in its entirety. But at least we need to make an effort, even as a citizens, that says, I'm not going to go and pay for a service by bribing somebody. People must do the jobs that they are supposed to do. So if people in the healthcare sector don't do their jobs, we're going to go be able to, uh, to deal with them decisively. I'll pause there. Thank you, Guli. Uh, if you can maybe just give us a brief description of what uh, SALGA is and what its function is, because I think for most of us, actually the first time we've heard of that name or organization. So maybe just like a brief description of SALGA and its functions. Just Hanyan, if any. SALGA is uh, the local government association um, of municipalities. So what it seeks to do is to regulate the functions of municipalities. So it is a particular body that we donate into, right? So the metros and the municipalities put money towards SALGA and SALGA seeks to find a common um, um, operating model for all municipalities uh, across the board. So it's, it's really just a, uh, a consolidation body that uh, will provide training, that will look at policy implementation that is common across the board, that seeks to streamline and align the goals and objectives and the strategies of the various municipalities 
and lawmaking at that um, at that level. In 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 theory, it is a very good um, thing to do because then it provides for a uniform service delivery across the board. But in practice, it remains another NC Care Deployment uh, organization. Uh, their role, uh, in terms of uh, uh, getting funding from the municipalities, from uh, our coffers, bear in mind that when you look at the, the city of Johannesburg, for example, we've got a budget of 77 billion rand. Um, of that 77 billion rand, uh, about 8 billion is intercompany transfers, so it's funny money. And only about 2 billion comes from USDG grants from National Treasury that looks at uh, infrastructure projects. And then only 66 billion comes from rates and services. So uh, property rates, electricity, water, and so on. So we've got a finite base, right? We don't get money from national government that is uh, from treasury that uh, allows us to run major programs. So we've got to take money from what we have and sponsor institutes like uh, SALGA for them to do regulation and commonality across all the um, uh, the, the uh, municipalities and come up with a framework that is common such that we are able to run municipalities in a streamlined fashion. So in theory, that is what they're supposed to do. Thanks. All right, thank you, Nkuli. Okay, it's gonna be Tabo, and then after Tabo, it's Tepo. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I'll try to keep mine short. Um, my question would be about uh, what steps will Action SA take in order to navigate the issues created by our constitution? For example, in regards to education, where our constitution says everyone has a right to education and they rule that this means legal and illegal. Uh, immigrants can get education. And that's why in Gauteng right now we have about 250,000 undocumented people attending our schools while we struggle to find um, schooling for South Africans. So what practical steps will Action SA take? Also, you know, um, with uh, regards to property laws, when you try to remove someone uh, who's uh, hijacked the building, you know, it's it's very difficult because of our constitution's uh, laws. Uh, as you have seen with Prasa and, and the central line in Cape Town, when they try to remove people who checks on a railway line, the constitutional court said they must find, Prasa must find uh, accommodation for those people. So what will Action SA's plan be, play-by-play um, plan B to navigate where our constitution is creating the problem. Thank you. Tabo, look. Um, uh, thank you, Tabo. Okay, can I, can I respond? Yeah, you can also respond. Uh, Tabo, your question talks to our um, policy position. Uh, and we haven't been uh, to our policy conference. We're only going to our policy conference at the... Uh, uh, the latter part of uh, this year. But I'll give you my view, personal view as Unkuli, so I won't give you an action SA view because it's not a policy position, so to speak, but what it is that I'll be lobbying for. We are operating on a 30-year-old constitution that was built on a utopia state. It was a great idea 
suffer for all that live in it and this and that and uh, and the other. Uh, Mandela's vision was was great, but what uh, uh, it is lacking in the present day is dealing with the dynamics of uh, uh, today. So we can't be operating on a 30-year-old constitution. We need a constitutional overview and uh, revision. We have to, okay? Uh, One of which is the issue around the Immigration Act 13 of uh, 2002. It's got to be overhauled. We've got a massive illegal immigration crisis that is now being exploited because of what our constitution says. Okay, so Mandela had a great idea, but in today's terms, uh, we need to review that. So I would, I would envisage that the first thing that we do when we get to government in 2024 is to go on a nationwide, uh, nationwide consultation on our constitution and what needs to change. We have got to tighten our borders. We have got to tighten our laws. We have got to uh, tighten the justice system. We've got to deal with things like crime in a different way. Um, We've got to look at uh, economic policy in a different way and the support of uh, the establishment of uh, SMMEs, for example, and how we support those small businesses. So a lot needs to change in our constitution. Right now, uh, it is touted as the best constitution in the world because it is utopia. But being the best constitution in the world does not necessarily serve us well, right? Um, you've got unscrupulous characters that will come and, uh, and abuse it. That's why today you've got the likes of Rutendo and so on who tweet and post uh, from South Africa when Zimbabwe is burning, when they're supposed to be in their own home country sorting out their own problems, but they're busy criticizing our own government sitting from here. That's why you find this entitlement of foreigners that just come and live here and decide that they will uh, uh, insult uh, our president. Yes, we may not like Osir Ramaphosa, but who the hell is that uh, idiot that went and... Uh, insulted our president and only to find that he's an illegal uh, foreigner. It's a slap in the face. It's like a big middle finger. So those things need to change. We've got to tighten it. We've got to make sure that when you are here, you are here legally um, and you obey our laws. And we've got to make sure that we deal with crime decisively. We've got to make sure that we deal with issues like education decisively. So I think there's going to be a need for a um, massive overhaul of our constitution and really, really tighten it up. Home affairs is going to be a homeland security um, um, uh, agency. The only reason why Home Affairs is not a security agency today is because the unions are objecting to it simply because they know that they cannot strike the minute that Home Affairs becomes a security agency. But it has to be. We cannot be dictated to by uh, by uh, among, among trade unions uh, in that uh, regard. Right, uh, we've got to change that and make sure that it is a security state because this is where uh, some of our biggest problems are emerging from. So, to answer your question in short, there's definitely, in my view, in Gulimbulu's view, not necessarily Action SA's policy view, uh, at least not 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 yet, is that we need a massive constitutional overhaul, and that requires that we go on a consultative drive across the board to all the constituencies at a branch level to say, what changes do you want to see happen? So if I were uh, a minister tomorrow, for example, and pick a portfolio, uh, trade industry or whatever, um, I would, in my capacity, make sure that I go across each and every single ward to get a view of what needs to change for that particular uh, portfolio and then incorporate 
those changes and then push for a constitutional uh, overhaul because things are not sustainable the way they are today. Thanks. Thank you, Nkuli. Okay, it's going to be Tepo, then after Tepo is going to be Stembiso. Okay, thank you. Uh, Tepo, you are next, then after is Stembiso. Tepo? Can anybody hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, so, uh, Tepo, are you there? Okay, well, well, Tepo is still trying to find himself. Uh, Tembiso, you can be next, and then it's going to be Patrick after you. All right, maybe take the next speaker. I don't know what's happening, but it's an issue with the speaker. Okay, okay, I'm here. Okay. Oh, Ishim, really, um, I wanted to ask you, um, since like uh, there's a huge problem with illegal foreigners and criminality they come with, so what are we going to do about the Nigerian guys who have a lot of money um, since they're contributing to our GDP and and things like that? And also, gosh, what did I want to ask? Yeah, and also, like, how do you, how do we um spark the economic growth crisis we are with, we are in, like, within the next five years of governance of national governance? Okay, I'm done. Sorry, I didn't get the name. It's Timbi, sir. Stemiso. Yeah. Stay, um, I don't know if it's true that, uh, and, and I won't point it at Nigerians only, I'll point it at uh, anybody else that uh, comes into the country, um, that they contribute to our GDP. Remember, our GDP, the gross domestic product, uh, is derived from treasury as well as the taxes that uh, the various industries contribute towards uh, uh, treasury and individuals. The challenge with undocumented foreigners is that they'll come and sell goods, but they do not pay tax to the fiscus. So it is black market money. Yes, you could say maybe they employ people or they provide services, but that money leaves the country. That money does not find itself uh, into our treasury. So the challenge with uh, illegal immigration and businesses operating in that space that do not are not registered with SARS. Remember what Mashaba has always said to say every business uh, that operates has got to be registered with uh, revenue services so that we can collect the due taxes. So right now we are missing out on a lot of taxes. Yes, they are active in our economy, but they are not contributing to our economy, to be quite honest. Right. Um, at least in a large, uh, a large part of them. So we've got to tighten our systems where each and every business, um, and touching on to your next point about the economic growth, 
is that we've got to be able to map out each and every business that operates and has a license and we can do bylaw enforcement to make sure that that uh, particular business is paying towards tax. Um, the fact that we collect about uh, a trillion, 1.2 trillion rands uh, of uh, this is, um, we could do more. We could easily double that if we really traced uh, all the money that comes into the country. So the informal economy in itself uh, gives um, a platform for illegality where goods are traded. You've got illegal goods that get traded, but that money doesn't see itself into the fiscus. It leaves the country. So we've got to tighten up on that, on business permits um, and uh, making sure that we map out each and every business that is in the country and we can enforce the collection. So we, we, need, to, we need to beef up the uh, SAPS and the security cluster when we come into power. Uh, in terms of the economic crisis, so the focus that we have right now says uh, we the country will grow at somewhere at best case at about 2% uh, by 2024, uh, worst case 0.5 over percentage, uh, median case about 1.2%. We are emerging from a recession and a recession that's also coupled with uh, the COVID uh, pandemic. So we are in a depressed economy. And for that to change, we have got to stimulate the small and medium-sized business sector. We've got to provide funding for small businesses indiscriminately for them to be able to trade, buy and sell goods and make goods available uh, closer to the consumers. Uh, And the focus is going to be around stimulating that. So we need to pass a bill in Parliament that... um, does not discriminate against SMMEs. If you heard me earlier when I spoke about the issue around the credit bureaus, for example, that are limiting our small businesses from uh, getting access to funding, we've got to scrap that. That has got to change. Yes, you've got to have regulations of some sort that uh, ensures that uh, you know there's, there's governance around the money that is being made available. But you've got to loosen up and make it easier. You've got to be able to uh, walk up to a shop right, right? Your nearest shop right, and apply for a loan, and get a loan within five minutes, because they know you and they know where you live, right? Um, and they know they can collect that money. But we've also got to understand that there's a high failure rate of SMEs. That when you do this thing, there is going to be a risk that you're going to lose money. So we're going to transform our economy uh, by stimulating SMEs and bringing a lot more younger people and smaller businesses onto the mainstream of the economy by just making them easy, making it easy for them to do business uh, with government and amongst themselves. Apos. Uh, thank you, Nkuli. Uh, Tepo, are you there? No? Okay, it's going to be Patrick, then after Patrick, it's going to be Patriot RSA. Patrick, you're up. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you so much. I would just like to ask, I would like to ask Councillor Mbundu um, if the Action SA has any perspective on affirmative action. I've never heard Action SA discuss anything with regards to affirmative action. I've heard them say that they are a party that is based on non-racialism. So if 
HNSA were to be in charge of the country, how would they approach affirmative action? Would they keep it or remove it? And I understand they haven't had their policy conference yet, but hopefully he can just give us some guidance on that issue. Thank you. Patrick, look, um, I am a product of um, affirmative action. So when I was hired into corporate in 1998, uh, somebody went out there and said, look, we need young black people that are, uh, have got potential. And I remember um, I was part of a program by IBM at the time. And uh, for, you know, I was doing uh, software development. And uh, I had accepted a job at Investec to go into development. And then somebody came and said, no, look, we're not recruiting into Cisco Systems uh, because they were looking to transform the entity. So I got in as part of affirmative action. You could say I was a classic case of affirmative action. So I believe that if implemented correctly, affirmative action can work. There is no doubt that we need equity. There is no doubt that um, the economy today is not in the hands of the majority. There is a need for transformation in the space. The problem we have is that how affirmative action was implemented uh, by the ANC government in particular was just to enrich the few who were supporting uh, the movement. It was not uh, generalized and indiscriminate. I would support affirmative action because we've got to bring equity. So if we look at the pay scales, and this is my personal view, not an action save view. You've got white men at the top, and then you've got white women, generally speaking. And then you've got black men, and then you've got black women. Our black women are the lowest paid, irrespective of the skill sets that they have. So in that, it tells you, when you look at the management ranks in corporates, very few black women are in that space. And yet, we constitute at least 80% of the population. So there is an anomaly there. And therefore, you need to provide some level of equity, but you've got to provide it without disenfranchising others. You can't, uh, you know, if, if, if you've got a black woman and a white man applying for the same job, you've got to give preference to the black woman provided that there is a skill set to be provided, right? Um, but you don't do it simply because uh, you just want to put your people in, in into space. So the current government really muddied this entire thing. That was a great idea around what uh, affirmative action has to be. I think it's going to continue. We've, we, we are nowhere near the employment figures and business figures that uh, are representative of our, uh, our, our economy. So it is my view, it's a personal view, uh, I believe we do need to bring up uh, young black people, black women in particular, onto the mainstream economy. And it's something that I would advocate for personally, to say, let's push it, but let's do it right. Let's do it indiscriminately. It mustn't be that Nyawazi, uh, you support the HNSA, or therefore I'm going to put you there. No, be indiscriminate. Make sure that you bring everybody across the board um, and not have not, not to be selective about it. So if implemented correctly, I mean, BE and affirmative action are great policies. It's just the implementation that has failed because of nepotism that we have uh, experienced. But I believe there is hope, and uh, it's something that I would certainly be uh, pushing for. Thanks. Thank you, Nkuli. Um, it's going to be Patriot RSA, 
And then after that, it's going to be Pinda B. Patriot, take the mic. Thank you, Kia. Uh, thanks, Nkuli, for that. Um, I, I must say I've been following you for a little bit now, and I've been a really big fan uh, of the work that you've been doing. Uh, just a comment and a couple of questions. Uh, comment would be, when Action SA does come into power in 2024, we would definitely, I'd say, push for you guys to definitely be in the terms of the Ministry of Police, Justice, and Home Affairs. I feel like that as a standard should be there for you guys because you guys have ultimately focused on that. Um, And then the questions I have are regarding the uh, professionalization of the public service. How do we ensure that we attract the best uh, skills to our government because when you're looking at it, when you want to be part of um, an organization just to work, not even necessarily be a party, but like you want to be associated with a, with a place that's honest and stuff like that. And, and our current reputation is that government is corrupt and professional people don't want to be associated with that due to the fact that there is so many issues with that. How do we change that culture? And then my second question stands on when coming to power and the approach to SOEs, do we support full privatization of the SOEs? In my personal opinion, um, I don't necessarily support full privatization, but I do support bringing in competition. And by bringing in competition, you force each other to behave in a way that's business sensible. Um, in that way, you can always drive down the prices lower for the per- for a person in not letting one person monopolize an entire industry and then have a number of people supply that industry so that we could uh, consumers have a choice or people like us voters have a choice of who to use at the end of the day. Thanks. Those are my, that's my questions. Thanks, uh, Patriot RSA. Um, and thank you so much for your support. Uh, maybe you might want to include uh, trade and industry into your portfolios because uh, it's a core part of uh, service delivery. You spoke about police justice and DHA and maybe trade and industry. Um, Let's talk about professionalization of the public service. So I'm a prime example. I left corporate um, from a decent salary. Now I'm very transparent, right? So you leave corporate earning 3 million rands to come and join a public sector and uh, to earn a million rand. So there's an anomaly in that space, right? So that is going to be reviewed. Uh, Reason why people steal is because they don't get paid enough. MMCs in particular, and I'll just speak of my example, want to get paid a million rand. Um, now, a million might be a lot for somebody or very little for another. It depends on where we come from. But we have got to adjust um, salaries uh, in order to attract the right talent, just like corporate does. We've got to make sure that you've got the right price to get the right person. So we'll advocate for a transformation in the Municipal Systems Act 
the municipal system uh, structures um, act as well to make sure that you incentivize people to come into private sector into, into the public sector and get paid a decent salary i i i'm a victim of that i mean i've, I've lived with 25 percent of my salary uh, being in the space and subsidizing it. So I know exactly what it feels and I know why it's difficult and I know why people steal because this is exactly what they are facing. However, when you look at the administration element, we've got some of the highest paid uh, officials. CEOs of our entities uh, get paid somewhere in between three, three and a half million rands, for example. That's a fairly decent salary. I was looking at the service scales of... Uh, uh, agencies. Uh, I think the Central uh, Energy Fund uh, has got the highest salary of about 5.4 million rand for the CEO. And then they listed all these entities. That starts from 2 million to, to sort of 5 million uh, sort of range. So there is good money in the public service for the administration. It is just poor money for the politicians. And that's why the politicians steal. That's why the politicians are rogue. That's why the politicians do what they do. But the minute you start to change that and you start to attract people to come into politics um, with the right salary scale, we can, uh, we, we've got a better chance of, um, uh, of changing that. Now, the government is not an employment agency, but w- w- what we see right now is um, government being a... Um, a, a reward system for people that supported the particular party. So you'll find people who just get paid, but who are not necessarily skilled or experienced enough uh, to compete in the private sector. Now, coming to privatization, look, um, the writing is on the wall. SAA, ESCOM, DINEL, you name them, right? Uh Government running these has failed dismally. And yet you look at corporate companies, MTN, uh, Vodacom, Standard Bank, they're doing well, exceptionally well, because they're privatized. How do you find a balance between the two where you do not capitalize a system such that it will exploit the people because the prices will be too high, but you can hold them accountable? Is when you... um, look at the policies that relate to um, companies being incorporated with an element of a social responsibility and ensuring that those who are responsible for providing basic services understand. And I think we are, we are beginning to, to, to get to that point in the property sector. There's something called inclusionary units. So when you look at the property development um, and the densification, 30% of uh, densification projects are looking at inclusionary. So when you build a uh, property or you develop a property, 30% of that is going to be left for people that earn or that can pay 2,000 rands a month or less. So it becomes a rule that's cast in stone. So when we privatize, we're going to privatize with a conscience, not outright privatization where you are now going to marginalize our people, but you're going to be able to include a clause in the approval for companies that talks to social justice and that talks to, um, um, how can I put it, that, that talks to uh, shared value. So we've got to adopt what we call the shared value principle, understanding that for, for us as a community to be sustainable, you've got to understand that you've got the 
poor people who are living on the other side. So parts of your income um, and your profits has got to take care of those people. So that way you balance it, but you professionalize it on the other side to make sure that there's competitiveness, that uh, there's performance management. Right now we struggle with performance management in a space like government because people are entrenched. People are entitled to, to their jobs. So you can't even performance manage in, in government. The unions are going to jump on your neck. But how do you eradicate that and put in place a competitive structure but with a reservation for uh, social um, uh, uh, justice? Thanks. I hope I answered you. Yes, you did. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Uncle, because I also want to like touch on the whole creating employment thing because one minute you have Cyril telling us the government is not responsible for creating employment and then the next minute he's telling us we will create 10, I'm just saying 10 million jobs just to say. So who exactly is responsible for creating employment? Is it the government or is it the private sector? So let's unpack that. So creation of employment essentially talks to making an enabling environment for investment to take place. Uh, the city of Johannesburg employs about 35,000, uh, 38,000 uh, people um, to provide a service. Government is not an employment agency. Government is not there to, to hire. Government is there to deliver services. But government is there to create an enabling environment for investment. So to create a, an investment-friendly environment, meaning we've got to make it easy for people to come and invest in uh, our cities. Rates, uh, services, electricity, water, queries. Can If somebody has got a problem with their billing, can they get a one-hour turnaround, for example, that's all they want. Businesses are saying, we, we've got the money. We want to invest. So when you look at the semigration that's, that's taking place right now, we have got a massive semigration issue uh, where uh, businesses and people are leaving uh, to the Western Cape. Why? Because systems function. All they want is to be able to say, if I have a, got a problem with my water and I've got a burst pipe, how long will, my, uh, will I wait on the call Will be, there be somebody on the other side of the line that will pick up the call, dispatch, it gets fixed in an hour. That's all they're looking for. So that's creating an enabling environment. So creating an enabling environment is actually very, very, very simple. I dealt with the support, SA Property Owners Association, and uh, they've got about 173, they're about 173 billion rent uh, entity. And their issues were like just basic responsiveness. I dealt with Leroy Merlin, who has got a, uh, uh, an outlet in four ways and one in Greenstone, and yet they are paying 13,000 rand per square meter in Greenstone versus uh, 6,000 rand per square meter in their rates in, in four ways. And they're saying, we can't invest because there's uncertainty, and we've been battling with this thing and there's no response. Our role is to just make it easy. Let's say, let's just make it easy. We are not going to invest as government because we are using ratepayers' money to provide services. But we are going to create an environment that you, as a business person, can come in and invest uh, and employ people. So we must create an investment-friendly space. So I need to be very clear on this, that government is not an employment agency. We don't want people to be looking for jobs. We want people to be looking for business opportunities. For, those, for that to happen, 
we need to make sure that we make it very easy. Contact center as a government. You pick up the phone today, 375, 55, in the city of Johannesburg. You're lucky if you'll get through to anybody. You tweet, you're lucky if you can get through. So we need a responsive government. And and for that to happen, it doesn't take money. It's just, just really will to just make things happen. So government has got to make it easy for private sector to come in. And then we can start to talk about uh, FDI. So today, our biggest uh, uh, partner, FDI partner, is um, uh, the European Union. Okay, They are the biggest investor in the country. So I, I, I met with them a couple of times. So when you look at the EU, and they're saying, look, we want to bring businesses into South Africa, but we want stability and we want responsiveness. We want services to work. And, 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 and. and for us to be able to address that, we've got to be have a functioning public service that is accountable, that is KPI-based, that a call center manager is paid on the response rate that they provide. And they're punished on their response rate that they provide, right? So we've got to be able to do performance management at, 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 at that level. So I think my view is that uh, government is going to create jobs. It is going to create an enabling environment for privacy to uh, to create jobs. Thank you, Nkuli. Uh, it's going to be Pinda. Then, uh, after Pinda, it's going to be Ernest. Pinda, the mic is yours. Pinda, are you there? Pinda Futa, that's one. Oh, uh, Pinda B. Uh, hello, Pinda. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to skip Pinda for now, and then we're going to go to Ernest. Ernest, the mic is yours. Greetings, patriotic South Africans. My name is Ernest from uh, Waterkloof, and I would like to ask Nguli um, one thing. But before I ask, I would just like to comment that between the years 2015 and 2017, I used to work in Joburg, but now I am based in Pretoria. And I saw the kind of work that Herman Mashaba did while he was um, um, uh, the Joburg mayor. And um, I was hoping that Action SA was going to do something similar. Hence why I voted for them in 2021. But unfortunately, the DA did what it did. So, yeah, that's that on the matter. Right. Question number one. Um, Guli, do you think that the DA, uh, excuse me, do you think that the DA uh, uh, collapses coalitions on purpose to prove to South Africans that coalitions with smaller parties don't work? Number two. What do you think of how the DA voted for for the 20 speaker? For example, I think the councillor's name is Kulofelo from Action SA. She was supposed to be speaker, but uh, the DA spoiled all 69 of their votes. Do you think that was deliberate or what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Thank you very much. Yeah, Enes... Um... Again, I'm going to give you my, my personal view, right? So uh, the political answer to whether the DA collapsed the coalition goes back to the logic that was given to us when we offered two MMC portfolios, one being transport, one being economic development from Action SA, and the DA rejected 
the economic development portfolio at a billion rand budget, capex, whereas um, transported a five billion rand capex. And their logic was, no, these guys are corrupt. They're gonna steal all the money. But the question was, but why do you give them a five billion rand portfolio and reject a a billion rand portfolio? So that is suspect for me. As to, there's no logic uh, to that. Why would you do that? So you'd rather just give away the entire 77 billion rand purse to these people and be opposition instead of giving them economic development, which we were willing to give away. So for me, it doesn't make sense. So now we've given away everything else. So for me, it says something is suspect. Um, and my, my, my view, my view is that the DA, uh, we were outshining the DA. And because we're eating to their base, they would not they could not afford to have us in government. So they had to really collapse us at all costs. I'll tell you why I say this. There are local um, caucus, uh, and the caucus is essentially the councillors uh, of DA in the metro. We're in agreement to get into uh, a partnership with uh, the PA, initially even with the EFF. The EFF only wanted uh, oversight roles, not executive roles. So there's two parts, right? There's the legislature and there's the executive. The executive is the MMCs, uh, the portfolios and so on, where the budget is controlled. And then you get the oversight that looks at the work the MMCs do. So when the negotiation took place, uh, Helen Zilla sent uh, John Steinhazen to speak to Mashaba in February last year to say, can you speak to the EFF uh, to uh, support us and vote us? And Helen went and spoke to the EFF. And the EFF said, okay, give us four... Uh, Section 79 chairs. Now, those are not budget-bearing chairs. They agreed. When he brought the deal, Helen Zille made an apology and said no. And Mashaba was livid. I was with him in his house at that, that particular day. Livid to say, but why did these guys send me to go and negotiate and then they you know, make an about turn? Uh, and yet, these guys, all they want is just oversight roles. We could have had a stable government as we speak right now, whether we like the EFF or not. Um, and then you go ahead and you give away the entire 77 billion rand without any sound logic, no matter how much they try and intellectualize it. So my view, personal view, including view, was that uh, they did not want us to remain in government and therefore they gave it away. There is no other logic um, for that. Um, how the DA voted for the council speaker in Swani? Um, there's two sides to answer it. So when you look at IAC rules, the IAC rules uh, stipulate what can or cannot go into the uh, voting block on the ballot paper. We are accustomed to an X. But what the IAC looks at is that is this definitive voting for this particular party, meaning you can put anything, you can put a number. IAC says that you can put a number. So the DA strategy was that let us, in order to manage our people, let's get everybody to put uh, numbers so that we can see who has voted. I think that was a great idea. However, because you could identify councillors by the numbers, it then took away the principle of a secret ballot. And that's why the uh, IEC went against it. I do believe that uh, there is common cause and common purpose for us to rescue the Tswane situation. Hence, tomorrow there is a council meeting to elect a new speaker. All of us got rid of all the rogue 
councillors. I do believe uh, that the DA wanted to elect um, uh, an HNSA speaker because we're in agreement that we we'll elect a DA um, uh, mayor. So, so in Tuale's instance, I think it was lessons learned to say somehow we need to some find each other and try and work together. So we'll see tomorrow. I hope I, you know, I wish I could give you an answer, but we'll see what happens tomorrow. But the expectation is that tomorrow we will elect, uh, we'll uh, vote out the current speaker and uh, we'll get absolute votes uh, of the whole 214, well, 214, but I Eight, I think, of uh, votes are needed. So that'll determine whether or not the DA is sincere. There's reason to be circumspect, but we also believe that uh, with what has transpired, uh, that some sanity has uh, has prevailed. So I'm I'm sorry, I cannot give you a, a direct answer to say whether or not they supported uh, an action as a uh, councillor. But what they did was supposedly okay. In our view, we did symbols. We put symbols in, um, and we gave symbols to our, our councillors, and they gave numbers. The numbers didn't pass, and that's uh, really what happened. So I suppose I'm hoping that it's just lessons learned that uh, we can um, uh, transform that and, and change it. So let's let's keep an eye out for tomorrow and see what happens. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Nguli. Uh, Pinda, can you hear me? Uh, greetings, everyone. Hi. Uh, I thought that you you're going to tell me to speak or before next time But nevertheless, uh, what I what I like to say is to Uprankuli and uh, everyone else on Mamela is to for me I see it for it makes sense for people to come out in numbers and support the action essay. Uh, in terms of uh, for 2024, as we are facing 2024 elections, I believe with the people, they need to consider, really consider, in supporting action, action, action essay. With that being said, looking at what they are trying to bring to, to the people, they are trying to bring a new culture whereby we need to get rid of the culture of bribing because it starts with the people. If we, we don't get rid of that culture of bribing, it means we are we appreciate what the NC is keep on doing of, to the people. And also, when it comes to education, I think Action SA needs to look into the matter of the unions. They need to get rid of the unions, because the unions, the purpose of the unions, it was to, to serve the goodness of the people. It seems like the people who are running these unions, they don't understand that the, the whole purpose of the unions to be there, it was against the private sectors because some of the private sectors were doing unjust, they were being unjust to the people. So the unions were established to protect the people. But now it seems like these unions are there to go against the public sector, which is being provided by the government. For example, look at the public hospitals, look at the schools. You'll find teachers, they don't want to go teach because of why they are dependent or they trust that the unions will come and speak on their behalf. Look at what happened in these hospitals. Doctors, nurses who wanted to save people's lives, they were stopped to go uh, and work people of the unions because they knew that the unions would be on their side to protect them. Therefore, Barangkuli, you need to look into these matters of either you getting rid of these unions because they are not there to serve the goodness of the people, but they are there to harm the people. 
And also when it comes to educational system, also it needs to look into it. How do we introduce a new way of teaching our uh, children? Because it seems like the system which is there, we cannot always pointing to apartheid system. Yes, we can see that it is apartheid system, apartheid system, but till when? For how long are we going to point fingers at the apartheid system if we have people who are learned, people like yourself, Prangudi, and the likes? who are learned, who can volunteer their time, go to schools, become public speakers, or go to schools, motivate, or be have that extra time that you dedicate to these learners. Like you mentioned, you mentioned so, uh, something to this effect of the YouTube. The YouTube is being used as a channel too, as an instrument to convey education, proper edu education, because that is what it is lacking, more especially in the public in the public schools. We don't have proper teachings, or we don't have people who are dedicated enough to teach our children, which being the future of South Africa. So if we don't look into the future of these people, that means we are setting ourselves for disaster. Also, when we're looking at another key factor that will affect South Africa, because you can ask people who travel a lot or people who meet other investors from other countries, they will tell you that they love South Africa, not because of the country, the trees and everything. No, because of its people. Therefore, we need to action as say if it gets into power by 2024, it needs to look at really all your campaign. It needs to be more based on safety and security and getting rid of these unions, because these unions, they do no good to people. And also safety, security, the economy of the country, it depends on the safety and the security. For me, ANC, it needs to, all of these people who are ANC members, they need to go and retire, or we need to create an all-age home for them so that they can go and sit there and play games together. People, and in South Africa, if you can look at it, is the majority of the people who are there in SA, they are youth. So these people, they don't consider the youth, they don't think about the youth, they don't engage with the youth, they only engage with themselves. Hence, they don't want to retire. Hence, they put policies that at the age of 60, a person can retire, but them themselves, they don't want to retire. So this is it's a system which is, is failing its people over and over again. So Action SA, it needs to look at these things, at these systems which were placed there to oppress Umtana and an African child. Therefore, Action SA, Branguli and the likes and your team, you need to look into the matter of safety and security for that we can protect the economy of the country. Also, the educational department, the education sector, whereby you'll find these people who are affiliated with the unions. I think these people, they need to be uh, dealt with, right? Because there's no any progress they bring because they depend uh, or, or they, they know that their unions will speak on their behalf, they will come and do so forth and everything. And like you said, also, we need to make sure as South Africans, we need to get rid of this culture of bribery get rid of this culture of bribery. And lastly, Brankuli, if you can look into it, uh, most of the people who didn't vote, you'll find good these people are the people of academics, uh, academic people. So they know that voting for ESA, ANC is a waste of time. Voting for DA because they're using the tag of racism for ETK, EDA. Now people, they have doubts whether should I cast my vote for ETA. And when you're looking at other parties, EFF, Upetabu, Paranya, Wupes, and so forth, 
it, it, it makes no sense for these people to vote for EFF. It makes no sense for them to vote for ANC. It makes no sense for them to vote for ETA. ETA. Therefore, this actions essay, which is uh, propagating or it is advocating for South Africans first and others after. And this is what is happening in the whole entire world. You'll find also the Gulf countries, they advocate for their people first before they can advocate for foreigners. Why us, if we want to do the same, they say we're coming with xenophobia. This is unfair for South Africans. So therefore, Prankuli with Action SA, Pambili, continue with the work, the good work that will make sure that our children, the generation to come, will enjoy the fruits of South Africa, or shall I say Wakanda. <laughs> so they will enjoy the fruits of South Africa. Therefore, Prankuli, correct me if I'm wrong, and the rest, if okay. I say I'll let's get rid of the you... unions, because yeah. I think okay. they're against the public, the government, uh, because the government is there to serve, but it's not there to yeah. to, to 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 render, or they want they don't they are not there to open work job for people, but they are there to make sure that the field. Okay, I, I don't like meeting speakers, but uh, I think we we got the gist of your of your questions. Um, maybe we'll hand over to Unguli. I did say that we will limit you guys for time. But so. it may seem like uh, I've taken long. But Unguli, uh, much appreciated for this initiative. I think uh, also this can work as a platform of educating people when it comes to political disciplines, when it comes to other disciplines that people need to be educated or with. Uh, much appreciated. Thank you for your time. Yeah, Pinda, uh, uh, thank you, Otiaman. Um, you show a lot of passion, and, and uh, this is what we need, right? Um, I know we're limited on time, but I appreciate the, the level of passion you have and uh, the comments that you've made. Um, in very short, Ishuyama uh, trade unions were very clear that uh, unions were formed back in the days uh, of apartheid to protect the oppressed workers against oppressive employers. But the system today has been abused, so that has to change. Uh, Isatu, for example, um, is one such culprit. So when we come into play, we have to review the role of unions. Unions must look after the workers' rights and not be politicized. The fact that you've got unions that are in a tripartite alliance, the ANC, is wrong in itself because they are in partnership with government. right? Awokosatu uh, and Saftu and all these guys, they should not be aligned with uh, political parties. They should be independent. So we need to look into a law that separates the alignment of uh, uh, AMA trade unions and, um, uh, and, uh, and political parties because it just doesn't work uh, for us. So I fully agree with you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate your, your, um, your comments. Um, and uh, I'm sure that we will be in a position where we can implement those changes when we come into play. It's something that we are very clear about. Uh, the issue around trade unions has to be relooked and uh, reworked because it's just personal gain. Those people are those are people that are making millions at the expense of the poor. Um, we can't afford to have that happen. So we will definitely look into that. So it's something that I will take with me into the uh, policy conference as we go towards the end of the year. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Pinda. Thank you, Nkuli. Uh, it's going to be Zandisile, and then after Zandisile, it's going to be Oni. Zandisile, you are. 
can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. All right. Uh, evening to everybody. Uh, evening, Putnikuli. Uh, mine is a very short and uh, quick one. Uh, in a political environment where organizations like the EFF and the ANC are trying to take us down the path of politics along racial lines. Uh, I know that we've talked about this uh, in a number of platforms in Action SA, the difference between multiracialism and non-racialism. Uh, I know, I just want to get your personal position on the path that you think Action SA should take, because in my position, in, in my opinion, multiracialism is recognizing that we are a diverse country of, of different races, whereas non-racialism is to say we don't see color, which would, which would be dishonest or disingenuous uh, on our part. And, and I suppose maybe give a view on, is it really uh, safe for Action SA to actually go down the route or the path, the path of politics along racial lines. Um, what are we going to do as Action SA to try and embrace our diversity and make sure we get the most out of each and every person, out of each and every patriot in South Africa, whether it be black, white, Indian, or colored? Thank you. Zandi, uh, very, very interesting. Um, you know, it boils down to our understanding of uh, multiracialism and non-racialism. And I do agree with you, which is, there's no way we can't see color because we've got to have equity. Um, racism exists uh, and we can't brush it uh, off altogether. It is probably one of the biggest challenges. I mean, if you consider the fact that, uh, and some of the discussions that are taking place, the fact that we could get into bed with a DA that uh, was derived from the Democratic Party um, and with links to the National Party, for example, to a certain extent, okay, to a certain extent, um, that we could get into bed with an enemy that colonized us and we could hate an ANC, um, uh, for example. It's, it's a debate that we have amongst ourselves. Which How do we regard ourselves? So the issue of um, non-racialism versus multiracial uh, um, or multiracial um, uh, community is pertinent, and I think it's something that we've got to ventilate in the uh, policy conference. Let's look at the end objective. We want a country that does not recognize uh, race, creed, or color, but it also acknowledges the disadvantages of some of those people. For example, the LGBTQI plus community has been disenfranchised, right? Uh, where people want to have a preference of their sexual orientation, but they are repressed. And uh, we are a society that has got to empower people without judgment, not what we see in Kunamanje happening in Uganda, for example, where they're putting in laws against such. So so the issue of non-racialism versus multiracialism, I think to a certain extent, it boils down to what our understanding is. But I guess when we get to the policy conference, 
you've got to be very clear uh, in terms of the definitions of uh, the two, but with a clear view of what the end objective is. The end objective is to make sure that a black woman has an opportunity uh, the same as a white male. Um, and if the two are pitted together, the demographics then take precedence to say, we this is what we need to promote. So whether that's uh, multiracialism or non-racialism, I don't know. But again, it's not something that I can comment on in the context of a party, but uh, from a personal perspective. Uh, I've got a lot of white friends who are very progressive, who are very supportive, uh, in as much as I've got a lot of black Indian colored friends and family um, who are, are also supportive. Uh, our vision is for a country that does not uh, empower one based on their skin color. How we get around to that and how we get to do it, we've got to just redress the past. We cannot do it. See, see, Prashia said, I know, we're not racial, we move forward. No, you can't. You can't. I mean, if you consider what Germany did, Germany um, atoned. After the Holocaust, they introduced a curriculum in schools that taught little children the atrocities of the Holocaust and why it was bad. But in South Africa, we didn't do that. We didn't teach the atrocities of apartheid. So SA has not atoned as yet. And that's why we've got this racial tension. We've got to get a space where we bring this into the curriculum, which is what racism actually meant. And therefore, get the white people to atone and understand. Now, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. We've got a population of white people of about 8% or thereabout. Uh, a large majority can't even speak a single indigenous language. And then you ask yourself and you say, uh, but to what extent are you um, extending yourself to say, I want to understand? I'm a forms or a government. Uh, I'm a um, police. I'm a um, uh, drugs that you get from the pharmacy are written in Africans and English. Why do we give Africans such a platform? That is pure uh, white privilege that we've got to kill. Why must we only have two languages when we have 11? Let's agree with the English is our standard language. If it's going to cost us a lot to try and print everything in other languages. But why do we have this other one more important than... Why is Africans more important than... Isn't the bell? It's cross. It's swat. Why? It's swan. It's vendor. It's vendor. Uh, it shouldn't be the case. We've got to kill the thing. Road signs are still English and Africans. So there is still that element of white privilege. So when we talk about non racialism or multiracialism, we need to acknowledge that there is still privilege that we need to deal with. And fortunately, the people that I engage with, uh, who I always say are progressive, they realize that. They just need a platform for us to be able to um, to promote that uh, uh, conversation. So, 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 so I think let's 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 uh, take that conversation into our policy conference as, as an item, and I'm noting it down to say how do we define it in the context of the outcome.
more than just the static terms that uh, it uh, represents them clench. I'll pause there. Thanks. Thank you, Nkuli. Oni, then after Oni, it's King J. Oni, you next. Okay, thank you, host and co-host, and uh, thank you, Comrade Nkuli. Uh, my question, uh, I don't know whether it's a question or a, it's a submission, it will be a little bit controversial, but I'm going to give me the ear. Uh, I'm one of the South Africans that are frustrated at this stage, not knowing what to do. And whatever party is on the table, they, they are there with the tag of saying we blame the NC, we blame the NC, we blame the NC. But the truth is the problem is bigger than the NC and the problem is bigger than blaming the NC. Number one, we are sitting with a, a huge government bill of salaries. Our government is taking a lot of money that is paying salaries to its own employees. And while those employees, a chunk of them, a big chunk of them are, are not performing. Uh, and then we are sitting with, a, 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 I think it's 60-something percent of youth unemployment, some of them with graduates and everything, while we have people that are working for the government that are working maybe 30% of the time that they're supposed to be at work, and they are very, very less performing, and they're taking the big chunk of the, the government's money. So I think that thing, it's something, now according to me, it's something that should be looked into, or at least again, get the people to work up to the age of 55 years and change the retirement age to 55 and then so that the government can absorb a, a, a chunk of a, a, our youth that are that are universities graduates and all those things to into the system because one what we are saying is i understand the concept that says government does not create jobs but we are at the stage where there's a lot of money that is circulating inside government. And that money that is circulating to, to government, the chunk, the bigger chunk of it is going to salaries, which is not revolutionizing people. The very salaries that are in the in, in the system, if you could get maybe, let me just give a, a, a thought example, get anybody from the age of 55 to 60 to retire within two years, which you will be opening up another 20 or 50,000 jobs and get the youth into that. And then you still have uh, salaries uh, uh, revolving. You have money that is revolving around people. Uh, whilst those people, they have pensions. So in, in it, within a year or two, you might have uh, a, 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 a unemployment almost settled or not even settled, but being in a balanced situation. Okay, number two, which is uh, is also uh, something that I I would like to to to, to the party to have an ear on. Uh, you are talking about a policy conference. The last time I saw the ANC had a policy conference, uh, it was in Nazareth, and uh, they used to post their photos. And when you looked at their photos, and when you looked at anybody that was there that was dancing. And when you think that those people are responsible for creating policies that will govern the government, I did not see anybody with that mentality to, to create policies on that. So what I'm urging you as a party is, are you going to open the policy conference to people even that are outside Action SA so that you know that your policies are talking to the people of South Africa? Uh, even get professionals as much as possible because what I thought that the policy government uh, po policy conference of the ANC would be, it would have 60% of engineers, it would have 20% of lawmakers, it would have 30% of medicine, uh, medical, uh, whatever, but it did not have that. It only had the comrades that came from the street, comrades that came from Harangua with the barrettes and all those things and the boots and everything, and those people were deciding 
uh, uh, were deciding policies that were supposed to be decided by engineers, policies that were decided were supposed to be uh, decided by medical professions, policies that were supposed to be decided by lawmakers, and those kind of things. So, are we or are you as a party going to be looking at things in that way? Because we cannot continue on stepping the same step that the ANC did just because we want to blame them for being wrong. We blame them for being wrong. But then the at the end of the day, we are sitting at a time bomb. The whole country's infrastructure is dilapidated. For this country to come back, there should be huge trillions that are needed. For number one, the whole road infrastructure of the country needs to be redone again. Uh, when you look at Jobek, the whole of Jobek needs to be redone again. The buildings are dilapidated. The whole uh, government property stuff are, are, are dilapidated. There is very ESCOM that we are talking about is gone. It needs to be uh, 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 rebuilt and everything again. We are talking about billions and trillions. So we want a party that would speak to that to us and say, guys, this is uh, the policy. This is what we are facing. This is what we are going to to do to you so that we can understand. And it should be uh, applicable policies like people should be proud of what we are we are talking about not always being saying the INC is wrong the ANC is wrong uh, thank you comrade uh, only thank you so much um let me just correct this thing uh, i'll be fired for accepting being called comrade <laughs> but i i know your context uh, so in action i say uh, the word comrade is uh, uh, frowned upon uh, by Umashaba because uh, we associate comrade with this whole ANC thing. But uh, nonetheless, um, I'm, I'm with you. So let's talk about uh, government salaries. I, I, I fully agree with you that we've got a bloated structure. Uh, I read an article in Amtlanje that says that uh, 7 million rand was spent on the last four years to keep the lights on in ministers and deputy ministers uh, homes uh, while we were experiencing load shedding. So believe it or not, we we experienced load shedding, but uh, ministers and, and DPs don't have it in their uh, um, properties of residence in 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 in, in Swan. It's like I, I I don't know how to explain it. It's 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 the system just doesn't make sense to me at all. Guti, how do you have public representatives that are supposed to provide services exempt? from the pain that we we experience. So it's money that goes into uh, these guys and, uh, you know, because they are some kind of demigods. Um, government salaries is, is a massive problem because uh, coming from 20, uh, 1994, uh, there was this massive employment uh, structure created uh, for our people. But our people were given opportunities based on um, allegiance and uh, recognition of their place in the struggle. We need to run a lean government. Our government is going to run like a business, right? Um, our government cannot afford to become an employment agency. Uh, if you consider the amount of people that we uh, we hire, look, look at the cabinet, right? So. The, 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 there used to be 27 ministers. Now they've taken them up to 30, for example. They've increased them. Uh, and we are saying we will reduce them. We'll do away with deputy ministers. Who needs deputy ministers? What's your function as deputy minister? You know, we've got to do away with that. We have got to cut the government wage bill to focus on um, people that can deliver the services. But at the same time, we don't want to thrust people into unemployment. 
uh, you've got to be able to create a, a an environment that allows them to get opportunities outside. Now, you're talking about the difference between the older generation and the younger generation that we're going to call at uh, 55. And I'm saying, no, we can't call it 55. In fact, we need to increase the retirement age from uh, 62, maybe 70, because the people can work, simply because the first person that's going to be 180 years old is alive now. So those people are going to be productive to build up their pension. But how do we create employment for younger people to come into the system. We've got to put a stop to government employment and create an enabling environment for private sector to uh, hire people and bring people on board onto um, the uh, uh, the system. So I think that's what we've got to look into. And it's something that I'll take into the policy conference. You talk about the policy conference and whether it's going to be open or not. Um, when we started Action SA, it started from something called uh, the People's Dialogue, in 2019, and uh, 2.4 million people, we sent out a, 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 a request. I, I wasn't part of Action SA then because I joined only uh, the year before. But we sent out um, a, a you know uh, a request to everybody else, and 2.4 million people gave us a mandate to start the party. So we've always been a consultative party, um, and I, I, I do agree with you that We've got to have technocrats that come into the conference. And it is not about the party alone or members of the party, but it's going to be members of the public that are technocrats, that are skilled, that are experts, that are qualified, that are experienced, that come in and say, here's what we want to do. So I envision advisory panels uh, that come into play where we open up and say, look, we want advisory panels in this space, in engineering, in finance, um, you know, in the various fields of trade where you bring people that come in and ordinary South Africans, you don't have to be a member of the HSA, but you are, you can come and bring the skills. So I take note of that and I just, I just put it down for me here to say something that we've got to propose is that we've got to open it up because it's the only way that we can actually get a wider reach so that it does not become like another ANC, KEDA, uh, uh, system. I mean, otherwise, if we do that, then we we fail in ourselves. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Guli. Uh, King J, the mic is yours. Uh, good evening, Patriots. Good evening, uh, Mr. Guli. Uh, Patriots, we all know that uh, illegal immigration is a serious problem in the country. And we we all agree can agree that uh, this problem cannot wait for 2024. All people who are putting South Africans first, we need to be immediately proactive in the fight against this monster. Uh, I think Action SA has not been uh, proactive in fighting illegal immigration. Uh, I've got uh, three questions to Mr. Nguli. The, the first question is that uh, currently the truck drivers of uh, South Africa, ATDF, is currently in court fighting the Zimbabwean exemption permits. We all know what the Zimbabwean exemption permits are. Uh, you know, these are the permits which have enabled... 5 million Zimbabweans to live illegally in this country. So now, 
Uh, my question is, has uh, Action SA ever contemplated to become party to a fight against uh, the Zimbabwean exemption permits? My, uh, my second question is the same as the, the first one. Uh, has Action SA contemplated uh, ma- making a constitutional challenge to this problem of illegal immigration in the sense that uh, they, uh, they, they, they would uh, petition the constitutional court so that uh, they can make a case that uh, illegal immigration is collapsing the functioning of the state and therefore there should be a state of emergency declared on uh, on illegal immigration and uh, which state of emergency can culminate in mass deportation of illegal immigrants that's my second question my third question is that uh, we i want to know what is the the, the position of uh, action sa on outsourcing because we can see that uh, the 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 tenders are collapsing uh, service delivery at municipalities is it uh, the the posture of Action SA to to have public works uh, dispensing service delivery at municipalities, whereby you know public works will be capacitated, engineers, electricians will be full time employed, so that uh, service delivery is immediate. You know this will be the same same position as uh, as it was during apartheid my last question is that uh, has uh, action sa taken a posture on 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 the question of the death penalty thank you mr nkoli king j yeah thank you so much um for your uh, your questions so you are saying um maybe we have not been proactive on the issue of uh, illegal immigration. I think Ohemen Mashaba has been the most vocal uh, advocate for illegality and dealing with illegality around um, 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 undocumented migrants to a point where we are very clear that uh, we want people of the world. A thriving economy is built on at, at the back of migrants, but they must be here legally and they must obey our laws. And when we come into power, we will make sure that you can rest assured with, from a policy perspective, that we will deal harshly against or um, with uh, illegal immigration because it's what's killing our economy. We know that. From businesses, so if you listen, maybe, uh, I don't know whether maybe you were not there. Uh, yeah, when I listen to your questions, maybe you're not part of the conversation earlier. Uh, that when you go to restaurants um, uh, or you get a delivery, yeah, 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 Uber Eats or a scooter, these are all people that are not providing scarce skills, and we need reserved sectors for that. So, how are we going to deal with that? Is reserve sectors for certain parts of our economy. Um, you spoke about ATDF, uh, the truck drivers. It's a massive problem. It also talks to the same thing about us. Uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, when the question was asked as to do we take Seri to court or not, and I said to Kia, no, uh, Seri is a small component. 
we have got to take home affairs to court and big business to court for hiring uh, undocumented foreigners. It's a massive problem. I mean, the amount of truck accidents that are happening, if you look at what happened in uh, Germiston a few weeks ago uh, with that uh, truck driver, an illegal immigrant, you know, uh, not following prescriptions, following rules, and not knowing, even when they're driving to a bridge, not knowing which I'm carrying precious cargo here that can explode. And uh, it killed innocent people because of exploitation, because that company was employing people who were not qualified for the job. So we are totally against it. Whether or not we um, have joined the ZEP uh, um, uh, campaign challenge, I think I'd like to think we look at it from a broader perspective so that we are not targeting specific uh, areas. So we're not being seen to be populist or xenophobic. Illegal immigration on the whole, be it Eastern Europeans, be it Bangladeshi, be it Pakistani, be it Indian, be it African, it is wrong. So we are challenging to uh, close our borders. And that's why we want to turn e-home affairs into a homeland security uh, type of um, state. So we may not have participated in the ZEP in particular, uh, but we are very vocal uh, against Abu Rutendo and all these people that are advocating for this thing. It's just complete nonsense as far as I'm concerned that they'll be sitting comfortably living in Sentin and pushing the ZANPF agenda and oppressing their own people on the other side. And some that we've got to fight. Maybe we've got to do it um, why the Concord, uh, you know, I don't know. It's something that's beyond me at, at this point in time. You asked about uh, outsourcing in uh, public works. You will know Wutu Umashaba went on an insourcing bid uh, when he came into the city of Johannesburg as a mayor to insource cleaners and uh, security personnel because you had cleaners who were getting paid four, between four and seven thousand rands a month, and yet we we're paying entrepreneurs 14,000 rand a month for that. So we decided to insource. So insourcing is our strategy to say where we need, where we can cut the fat off and we can employ the people. Let us do that. So insourcing is a very big part of us. The same thing is going to happen with public works. We need to insource uh, the key skills that we need to um uh, to 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 hold within the city, so uh, you know my simple answer to you, uh, King Jay, is that uh, someone like you needs to come on board. You need to come on board and be active. Uh, you know, please ping me on the side and say, you know, where can I play a part? Because um, just like the other speakers that have come on board, uh, and it's an open invitation to say, please ping. Let's see how we can uh, become inclusionary in what we are doing. Where these ideas, because I I will not have answers, uh, all the answers for you today, but you are bringing so much value, and let us bring the platform. Just like I've got the platform, the action essay. You know, I I don't blindly believe in action essay. I'm not like a blind follower, right? Like I, I said earlier, I fight no uh sometimes to my detriment, but I see a platform. So I'd like to extend that platform for all of us to say, come on board. We need more of us. You're bringing so much value into this thing. Uh, in your own constituency, you might think it's small, but it can just, uh, you know, uh, balloon bigger. So I think let's start to have a conversation around 
how do we take the ideas that you have um, beyond just uh, commenting into the actual work that we uh, we are doing? So that's an open invitation for you. Thank you. Thank you, Kulia. Before I give to the host, uh, I have a I have a question about what are you going to do about uh, Johannesburg? Let's say you guys win the 2024 elections and Action SA is now the governing party. How do you fix Johannesburg? Because Johannesburg is is a cess it, it's a cesspool. It is filthy. It's horrible, you know. It's just not Johannesburg anymore. So how then do you turn Johannesburg into a, a world-class city, like they call it now? Like that's the slogan for Johannesburg is a world-class city, which I think it's a lot of nonsense because let's be honest, it's it's filthy. It's it's filth, rubbish everywhere. It's like you can't even move. You can't like do any like so. How would Action SA then fix Johannesburg, basically? Because if you can then fix Johannesburg, then I think maybe that would be a step. So how would Action SA fix Johannesburg? Dear, you know, we, um, I grew up in Joburg. Um, so I was born in Soweto. I went to school at Palento Park High at Berea. So I take a taxi to town and then take a bus to Beria and then we'd walk back from Beria to town and hang around the Kaini Center and stairs and so on because I take it home. It was safe. Today it's not safe. I, I, I mean, I was in Joburg. I was in downtown Hillbro three weeks ago and I had to take off my watch. I just felt so unsafe. I almost met my, my nightmare. The first thing we're going to do in Joburg, and that we will do in Joburg, is to triple the um, volume of law enforcement. That's the first thing. Safety first. Police everywhere. And how is that done? Oh, MC Tembe had a strategy. He calls it a block-by-block uh, -block approach of 22... I think he calls it 22 uh, system strategy. Or you go 22 people per block. So you increase visibility of police to start with. That's that's the first thing. Secondly, you then go aggressively against um, the illegal businesses that are taking place in the inner city. Number three, you've got potholes upon potholes in the city of Johannesburg. Right? You've got to outsource that to private sector for branding rights. Come close a pothole, brand the pothole yours. It's as simple as that. Number four, um, you've got this. Um, um, you, 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 the stench and the waste. There's right now there's sixteen thousand bins sitting at city uh, city power, but the problem we face is that businesses subdivide their own spaces. So you get a, a company that operates in small street, and they subdivide to five stands uh, inside. And they also subdivide outside. And then you suddenly have got like eight businesses, but with one coping out bin. Uh, bin. So you've got to outlaw that. You've got to close all those businesses. And by the way, they're not 
um, local. Close all of those. In, uh, enforce by law uh, in conjunction with SAPS, the intelligence, home affairs, SARS, uh, and have a, a coordinated approach to, to dealing with that. So we've we got to follow, you know, I follow the story of Luquadia. Uh, how Luquadia turned around um, New York from 1931 when he was appointed mayor of uh, uh, New York. It was filth. It was drugs, it was criminality and so on. And he was able to turn that around and build bridges, build highways, build schools, build Central Park, do a whole lot of work simply because they were determined on and they were decisive on what needs to be done. So you've got to have a strong hand. In Jobek, you need a mayor that is solid, that is not taking nonsense, that will arrest people, that will deport people, that will um, enforce bylaws day in, day out, uh, working with the systems that we have. So, so these are some of the things that we would do in support of the municipality. Rather than call us a dictator, it's fine. Paul Kagame has done it in Rwanda. Kigali today is now far surpassing uh, Johannesburg, ahead of uh, 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 Lagos and, um, uh, and uh, Addis Ababa. Why can't we have, we need some kind of a benevolent dictator. We need somebody that's going to be strong to run the city of Johannesburg. Right now, the mayor of the, of, of the city of Johannesburg refers to the ANC regional chairs as sir. Believe it or not, the person that chairs the Maycombs in, uh, in Joburg is the regional chair, the ANC. It's not the mayor. The mayor is just a puppet mayor. So you're going to get rid of it. And once you get rid of it, then you start to implement harsh bylaws. It'll be seen as inhumane. It'll be seen as um, um, you know, I know Ubuntu but who cares about Ubuntu when you can't walk through a jersey without your wig being snatched, for example. So we've got to bring a police state into the city of Johannesburg um, to start with. And extending to Eswan, extending to Egruleni, Egruleni um, uh, with the drug cartels as a manager and extending to Sunnyside, Pretoria, we have to have a very harsh approach. And these police officers are prepared to do it. They just need the, just the right political will. They need somebody that's going to come in here and say, here's what is going to happen. It's going to happen today, but with a systematic approach. So I think we need law and order uh, as the first thing to, to invest. And then we need to do a cleaning up process. But the cleaning up process requires that we work together hand in hand with the communities to say one Saturday a month, all of us clean up. It is a culture. We look after our space. You cannot go and urinate in a public space. You cannot litter. You know, we find you. So we democratize the systems. I mean, there's, there are apps today that are available where uh, one of the things that we wanted to introduce was um, a particular bylaw enforcement app called Vipper that uh, you would download on your phone and you'd record infringements and upload. And when we find those business people for their violations, you get a share of that. So we got to start to democratize and start to, we operate in a platform economy. And the platform economy says we've got to reach out in scale. It's a tech, it's, it's a tech kind of space where we give power to the people to start to report and be incentivized for for doing that. So those are some of the things that we um, we need to do. But I think we need a very strong 
arm of uh, the law in the city of Johannesburg. Today, we don't have it. We've got this uh, MMC for public safety that is uh, an airhead of note, and uh, it just goes on and uh, just uh, runs uh, for no reason and uh, is alienating JMPD and so on. We've got to get rid of that. You know, so so I think we need to be come back to the basics and make sure that we bring law and order into the city of Johannesburg. I'm going to pause there. Thank you. And then also in, I mean, Durban, are you are you using the same uh, methods to fix Durban, or you go there differently because Durban is not what it used to be. So how would you then go about fixing Durban? Look, I, I can't speak of uh, KZN. We've got Mwangum, uh, who's doing a great job in terms of mobilizing in KZN. We saw what happened in December where our beaches were not ready. We saw what's happened at the promenades uh, where people just can't go and swim in December. Uh, but my my view is that we do it metro by metro, We but we've got to establish a blueprint to start somewhere. And I think Jobek can be a blueprint to start, and that blueprint uh, can extend. We are fortunate enough in HNSA in that we, um, we've got a Senate that is comprised of at least the nine provincial uh, leaders, plus the other leaders of the party. Uh, by the way, I'm not part of Senate. I'm not, I, I don't even hold a single position in HNSA. I'm just an ordinary member. Um, but it, it's by design, and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I've got confidence in that. Once we succeed in doing what we do here, who I thought will be able to to take a leaf out of it and and implement. KZN can do it. Limbopo can do it, and so on and so on and so on. So it's it's a vision for the country across the board. It's not something that just ends here. It uh, spreads across the country. Okay, uh, Tsepo, uh, I don't know if Tsepo is here, but uh, host, if you can take over, thank you. All right, uh, thank you, Kia. Yeah, I had to drop my Ngunzi uh, uh, account and on PSAF Live, it seemed like we we're losing its space at that time but anyways we managed to hold it together uh yeah just my last question to ngule and then he can just uh, also uh, uh make his final uh remarks as well and then we will uh, look at closing the space i think it has been a very uh, uh insightful uh, conversation and uh, you can go back and revisit uh, this conversation uh we will post the links to spotify and uh apple um uh, uh link as well uh, is uh action essay come 2024 uh, if the uh, people of south africa trust that uh, we want to put action essay in government how ready are you to be uh, to assume that position as action essay and uh, just shortly after you've answered that question you can just give us your final uh, thoughts as well and, and uh, closing remarks Nkunzi, thank you so much. So we have got um, a representation in all provinces, number one. So we've got provincial chairs, we've got structures in place, and um, the people that 
you know, we are always accused of uh, not being democratic, as in, why don't you have an elective conference? Why do you appoint? Right now, it's too early to have an elective conference, to be honest, because we could be infiltrated very quickly uh, by people that can get the numbers. So so I, I, I believe in the leadership that we have. Uh, it is ethical leadership. It is credible leadership. It's people that really, really, really believe uh, in the future of the country. By the way, it's not easy. It's very difficult. Uh, the kind of conversations we have internally are tough, are difficult. Half the time, people want to resign and leave, right? Simply because of the... Uh, complexity of the organization, but somehow we always stick together. So when you ask a question, are we ready to lead? Uh, look, I've been a leader in corporate, right? So I'm ready to lead. Um, I know. Umashaba has been a leader in business, he's ready to lead. Uh, Usodidika has been is ready to lead. Ukwenamangope wants to bring back what uh, uh, his dad did in uh, Northwest. Uh, Michelle Wasserman, uh, Western Cape, uh, is ready to lead. I mean, she exposed this whole um, sewer thingy into the 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 the, 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 the beaches of uh, Cape Town, for example. We've got a very strong leadership uh, in 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 space, and none of which is tainted. And we we are very quick to fire you if you are found to be uh, going against. Uh, the policy of uh, the party. We are not shy to fire. So we could be accused, but as a growing party, yes, it's, it's, it's bound to happen. Right? We'll fire if you are just not going to uh, be in support of the project South Africa. So from a leadership perspective, I think we've got ethical, principled leadership and we are ready to lead and we want to lead. And we are not hungry, by the way. So we're not coming in here because uh, absolutely not. We we come from diverse backgrounds, uh, saying look, we've got to fix what we've got to fix. It's more painful for us, to be honest, to be in these roles. I can tell you that for a fact. Uh, my colleagues will tell you. Some of them are here in this uh, space. When I told them I wanted to leave council, which I, I I just can't manage, you know, because of what I get paid and what I do. Uh, but because I'm not going to steal, I'd rather just go and. Uh, focus somewhere else and then support the party. So we have got that kind of a culture that we've got uh, as I say, we believe uh, in ethical leadership, we believe in, in delivery. So in, in, in partying, um, what I want to say to Patriots is that <clears throat> we need to work together. Uh, Paul Selfie First is a friend of HNSA. We are planning on a rally uh, an anti-illegal immigration rally uh, that will take place sometime in June this year. I'd like to invite you guys on board. Um, let's all go out there. It's for all patriotic Africans to come on board and say, we want to reclaim our state. We want to reclaim our cities. We want to reclaim our country. It is ours. They could uh, gaslight us all they want, but... Uh, we are not going to give up. Let us not give up. I know it's tough. I know it's hopeless for a lot of people. You go to sleep tonight and you wake up to the same thing. But uh, I have confidence that we have, there is hope. We can change it. Even when there's no hope, I, I still do see hope. So 
I'm imploring uh, all patriots to um, tie together. Let's, uh, it's the only chance that we have together. So let's, let's, go out, let's go out and do it together. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Nkuli. Uh, okay, I see Josh has his hand up. I know you asked a question around the death penalty. Please revisit the recording. Nkuli did touch on it uh, earlier on, um, the, the position the, uh, with regards to that question. But I'll give you, I'll give you 30 seconds, uh, uh, Josh, because we have to close now. Oh, thank you, Patrick. I was about to reiterate and you know, remind him that I asked that question. Thank you. Uh, sure. No, it was answered. I don't know if he wants to. I'll, I'll, I'll give him. Uh, yeah, if he wants I'll, to. I'll, I'll, no, if he... I'll answer that. Um, um, the death penalty is a non-negotiable. It has got to come back. We've got to bring uh, death penalty. Um, however, remember that a death penalty has a dependency on a number of functions. Uh, the judiciary being a big part of it. We've got to fix each judiciary. We've got to fix and do away with the culture of bribery. And um, you, you see, when, when, when you open up a case, um, SAPS, you sign something called a page reform. That page reform says, if you decide to withdraw from the case, we can hold you personally liable. Now, when you look at uh, cases that, in, um, that uh, are associated with the death penalty is murder, rape, um, on the main. And yet you've got a culture of uh, young women who falsely um, claim rape when there wasn't, where you could find an innocent guy who um, was not involved in rape but is now uh, uh, incriminated on those bases. And now we've got to send him to you, you, you know the chambers, the death chambers, we can't afford to have that. We need to make sure that we fix our judiciary, that it is crystal clear that we can weed out the criminals from the innocent. So we don't send somebody who's innocent into the death chambers. The worst thing that we could ever do as a government is to send somebody into the death chambers uh, are innocent. So we've got to fix how NPA operates. We've got to fix how the court system operates. There's a lot of things that need to be fixed. That's why I said we're at least about five years from the death penalty. But at least we can start now to introduce that fear element. Our view is that we must make jail very uninhabitable. It, it, we, you don't want a jail that is like a, a recreation facility. Hell no. It must be tough. People must know what you're if you're and say, and thinking in. And my life is going to be hard. Let's make jail hard. And once you do that, it becomes a deterrent. And then we can talk about the death penalty. Right? I do believe in the death penalty. I believe that if you take away somebody's life, you know, you've got no right to live. But because our judiciary system, Kunamanji, is not uh, efficient, we are likely to send the wrong people down that path. So we don't want to get to that path. We want to make sure that we can fix that. I'll pause there. All right, uh, co-host. Yeah, I know you want to close the space, but I wanted to ask him about um, 
his views on parole because you have uh, I don't know if you saw recently there was those uh five guys like mass murderers or serial killers uh you know who have spent 25 plus years in prison who are now applying for parole do you think that like murderers when they say it's a life sentence it should remain a life sentence or do you think that the 25 years to life thing is is uh, i don't know it's adequate because these are people who murdered several people and then they got like 25 to life and then on top of that they've got a thousand years but they are applying for a parole so what's your view on that so interestingly enough um last week uh, i was watching um the world's toughest prisons on netflix and in uh, uh cyprus there's a lady that runs the prison facility uh who gets celebrated by prisoners because she runs a rehabilitation facility she rehabilitates uh they dropped from uh 50% reoffending rate to about 15% but that's in a functioning system right now we're not in a functioning system right now we don't have uh the luxury of calling our centers correctional services they've got to be called prisons right now we've got to be hard okay because crime is out of control so when you look at parole um right now we don't have sentences that have got uh uh life with no possibility of parole we need to bring those back that people should not animals are animals they need to stay there unless they have proven themselves over and over again that they are rehabilitated so you got to infuse rehabilitation into correctional services because you do find people that were are victims of circumstance crime was the only option that they had and uh, they committed you know non life harming crimes but um are in prison you got to be able to let those go because it costs a lot of money to keep them in 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 prison however we've got to be very firm on um life sentences without parole absolutely not you 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 cannot i mean it's about best that 75 years and he was living large in prison prisons are not meant to be like that prisons are meant to be we got to bring back the uh, the chain gang chain gang they go and work they work for a living they wake up they're chained and they go and work so that everybody who sees it knows what they, i do not want to be part of that so when you ask about parole um i i am a bit conflicted in the sense that you you get people that can get rehabilitated but it talks to the majority of the society that we live in today but where we are today we need tough stance on crime life without parole that's it and we make it very difficult until your last day on earth that way people will know what the life of crime does not pay whether you're doing fraud or murder or rape or whatever they must know what ah i do not want to be part of that we've got to instill that fear factor before we get to a space of motivating people thank you thank you um yeah 
I think we've come to the end of the space and uh, we just want to thank Nguli, um, Councillor Nguli Mbundu for coming through to the space uh, and just uh, having uh, afforded us the opportunity to have this time with him and uh, we really appreciate it and uh, it's a space where we come and uh, we tackle these issues and we have a lot of patriots coming through and uh, I think it's important for us to have these conversations because there's a lot that we need to fix in our country uh, and not only for us but I think we need to have generation in mind uh, the generations which are coming uh, we some of us are parents we have we have children and we want them to grow up in a safe country, but also a country which will present them with the, the opportunities um, and for them to have available opportunities in this country. So um, that's that's basically why we do this. And uh, for us, uh, just to create this platform for, for the Patriots, we always say that this is your space. Uh, this is your platform. Please use it and engage uh, with the guests that we we bring, and uh, yeah, for us, we'll be able to move forward as a as a country. Uh, let me give uh, classic man. Uh, I'll give you uh, five seconds to say your goodbyes. Kia, five seconds. Then we will just shut the space. Uh, yeah, I think we've we we we've dragged it. <laughs> it was very long, but yeah, five seconds each, and then let's 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 just close. Classic. Right. Thank you, host. No, um, you can give uh, the mic to Kia. That's fine. And then we can close it. We have already dragged uh, the space too much. Thank you. All right, cool. Uh, Kia, yeah. Um, yeah, just say your good nights and then five seconds. Yeah. Um... I just want to thank Nkuli for, you know, coming on the space. I know that you are very busy. So thank you for taking the time out and coming and speaking to us. So thank you for that. And thanks to everyone who was on the space today. Thank you for all your questions and thank you for your support. And we hope it continues. And uh, good night, guys. I'm tired now. So <laughs> good night, everyone. Bye, Patriots. Thank you. Um, yeah, we will catch you on the next Patriotic Space. Please be on the lookout. The, as I've said, and as I mentioned, the space will drop on Spotify think, early tomorrow morning. Uh, and we'll also drop it on uh, Apple Podcast as well. Uh, so just be on the lookout. So we'll post those links on the PSAF Live um, uh, uh, page uh, tomorrow morning. And yeah, I think uh, let's uh, keep it uh going let's uh um remain uh the the fight at hand we we know what is wrong in our country and uh, i think as a collective there's so much that we can achieve if if we pull together and uh thank you to everyone who joined in and yeah that's the wrap for today we will catch you on the next space thanks everyone have a good evening further and a great and productive week ahead thanks